Let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube with Mike Spiegelman. Let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube with Mike Spiegelman. Uh, hi, this is Carl. I'm Mike's friend. I uh, wrote this song, and uh, it, it, you should follow me on Twitter. It's uh, Jokes to Carl. Uh, that's the French, duh, not the uh, <laughs> duh, duh. With Mike Spiegelman. Mike! Uh, all right, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that was Carl uh, with the theme song. Welcome to LWAFLMOYT with Mike Spiegelman and Carl. Hi, Carl. Hey, Mike, I'm glad to be here, and I'm glad we are live in studio. It's like pre-pandemic time. Yeah, it's like pre-four time. We even have a special guest. We, we have a special guest here uh, in, alive uh, here in the studio, Sherilyn Connolly. Hey, that's me. Uh, from Bad Movie Night, the 10 years of Bad Movie Night here yep. in the Mission yep. uh, at the Darkroom. Uh, and uh, I miss it. It was fun. Yeah, it was good. It's like I wouldn't want to... I wouldn't want to do it again. I wouldn't want to start over. We never get the magic back, but it was perfect. We had 10 years of bad movie and 11 years of the dark room. That was the thing we did. Nobody can take it away from us. And yeah, uh, yeah we'll always have that. We riffed uh, movies. And uh, Sherlyn, how is it different doing a live show than, say, a episode of Mystery Science Theater for people who may not know? The main difference between what we did and what like MST3K and Rift Tracks do is that they are actually comedy professionals who write the jokes ahead of time and have it all perfectly scripted and timed and they know that you know it has a good rhythm to it whereas bad movie night historically and by intention i might add was chaos it oh. was chaos by design we were talking all over each other and our jokes were terrible which is why when you actually made one that worked when you actually got laughs from the audience it was the rush to end all rushes <laughs> and occasionally when you would get applause for one of your jokes it'd be like just drop the bike and leave because yeah. it's not going to get any better than that but oh. mostly it was chaos and you know what it was so fun because it was chaos with friends. Yeah. The best part of it was hanging out with Mike every other week because I put Mike on a lot because I just loved laughing with him. It was oh, just it was it. just the best. It was it a was good run for sure. Oh yeah. yeah whether a, anybody else enjoyed it, ultimately it didn't matter. Did we make each other laugh? Did we enjoy each other's company? That's did. what it was we all about. We absolutely did, and no yeah. one enjoyed it for sure. I agree on both fronts. Uh, we had a great crowd there, and uh, sometimes I just wouldn't watch the movies. It was a lot mm -hmm. easier to come in. Uh, oh, yeah. And Sherilyn provided uh, subtitles on the film. Yes, yeah, so I always got the yeah. subtitles and because we would be talking over it. And yeah. the film that we're about to watch, actually, this particular version is – it was a made-for-American made television, you know, television movie in English. The version we're going to watch is in French with English subtitles. Oh, great. Okay, so we can uh, listen to some French uh, dubbed. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yes, it'll, it's in French, English subtitles, so everything you need to know will be actually be on the screen. The, and it's terrible. This is 30 minutes of story stretched out to 90. That's being generous. This is 20 minutes of story stretched out to 90 minutes. Oh, my God. So, uh, Carl, what is this movie today? Uh, this is uh, The Man with the Power, 1977. This is what you put in your YouTube search engine, The Man with the Power. Now, the thing is, what's going to come up is like the trailer for it. It might be smarter to go to the channel first of Sherilyn Connolly. Hey, that's me. Um, yeah. yeah. And and from there, you can find The Man with the Power French subtitles. Yeah. That's exactly it what is, I did. I typed Sherilyn is a, a S-H-E-R-I-L-Y-N. 
Uh, also LWAFLMOYT. And, uh, and, and when donate people... to Mutiny. We forgot. We're not doing our routine. I know. Well, oh, yeah. Give Mutiny money. Oh, yeah. Give Mutiny money. At, <laughs> <laughs> donate at MutinyRadio.fm or go to Venmo and it's at Mutiny Radio. That's it. Not Mutiny Radio Gimme Gimme Fake Scam. Uh, and uh, we appreciate the donation. We here are live uh, as our show broadcasts here first, uh, streams first, uh, every Sunday, 2 p.m. Uh, so, all right, I'm very excited. So if you go to Shirtland Connolly, uh, as uh, when you filter on YouTube, we all know how to do this by this point for the channel. You'll find her collection and Man with the Power in French, which uh, English subtitles was set up. We went ahead and hit it. Go ahead and hit the link, but hit pause. Uh, and then uh, stop the timer and move the, the timer to, to the left. So you got zero, zero, zero. We have a very special guest. Oh, Sherilyn will be doing That's the me. celebrity co comedian countdown from New Jersey uh, this week. Uh, and when yes, she says New go, Jersey, yes. Yeah. That, <laughs> Let's roll with that. Yeah. You have to be a comedian. You have to have, be in a movie or have a, uh, a foundation, something that makes you a celebrity. And then uh, you have to be from New Jersey. Uh, when, <laughs> and you have to be friends with Carl. Uh, and then, uh, yep, that's a B on all counts across the board. That's a B, totally. <laughs> all right, so go ahead and give us a countdown. And when you say go, we were going to wait, start Mike. Wait, wait, wait. Let's just make sure we sped through it. Let's just make sure that everyone's on the right channel. So it's it's S H E like she, and then R I like Rhode Island, and then L Y N just one N. Carolyn. Mm -hmm. That's right. Single consonants in the first R I L Y N. <laughs> And then you'll find Connolly, C-O-N-N-E-L-L-Y. Exactly, now, double consonants the in the last is, name. If I could, the thing is, there's only so many letters. You're, you're hogging up two N's. It's true. You're hogging up two L's, but okay. <laughs> All the best consonants are mine, motherfuckers. They're mine. <laughs> yeah, that, that attitude is not Rhode Island. And so when you bring when you when you when you bring up the film when you're at zero zero you should see a school bus and a high school that you've seen in a million movies before you should not see the title of the film yet it'll come up momentarily but when you're paused when, when we're about to start you should not see the actual title of the movie on the screen yet so that's how you know that uh, you're ready to go and so is everyone ready to go shall we go ahead and do the uh, countdown yeah let's do it all right so I'm going to do a three two one play and when I say play hit that hit that triangle all right here we go. And remember, this was, I want to point out, this was May 24th, 1977. This was, this was broadcast the day before Star Wars came out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. so I just want to put that in historical context. Star Wars opened the next day. All right, so here we go. Celebrity Comedian Countdown. All right. Three, two, one, play. Ah. Here we go. The Man with the Power. Something, something, toilets. All right. Oh, right, because the subtitles, they have to uh, show the other language. Mm -hmm. All right, there are people. Uh, so here's our hero, yeah. folks. <clears throat> so I'd like to point out, this was the day before Star Wars, and this is our hero. He is a twerpy towhead. So right off the bat, there was something in the air in 1977. Heroes were, twerp were twerpy towheads. Oh, and you're going to you're not going to want to have the automatic subtitles on. There we go. Okay, yeah, there, I have hard coded subtitles. Something else about this film you're noticing already, ugly. This film was shot. Yay, Princess Kambada's Princess Siri. This film was shot in the bleakest, ugliest industrial wastelands of Southern California. I apologize right now. This is going to be a hard film to watch because again, every shot is just it's ugly. Except for Princess, it's ugly people in ugly settings doing ugly things. Well, this is the and 77. the DC portion, was that also shot really in California? And don't worry about the, the freezing, it's, unless YouTube, oh, there we go, yeah. 
it freezes up a little bit. And the uh, DC portions were almost, if there are those things, were almost certainly also shot. Every, yeah, everything was shot in LA. Again, and just in Southern California, J.J. Jones, oh, you did a bad job, my friend. J.J.J. <laughs> and Alan Balter, you're also partially to blame. I think J.J.'s work was dynamite. I see what you did there. Also, all the lens flares, that's also a J.J. thing, naturally. His last name's initial is J. He's J.J.J. He's Triple J. Triple J, yo, what up? Drift. And, and Nicholas no, Cigarro, I'd like, like to point comment. out, Nicholas Cigarro was the script coordinator for Bob Fosse's 1972 special, Liza with a Z. So there's a little bit of Hollywood trivia for mm -hmm. you there. Now, this uh, is directed by Liza with a Z's script coordinator. I wanted to mention, uh, Sherilyn has written a book called Presenting uh, Purses to Kambada, which yep. is regarding the actress we're going to see here tonight, mm -hmm. uh, today. Uh, and uh, one of the things you mentioned in the book, and we're going to definitely discuss it. But Open the nine. One of the actors uh, became uh, was a hairdresser in one of her future movies. That is correct. Yes, someone that we are going to see later look, on. Wait. Is Colonel. Oh, now look, there's trouble, Mike. Mike, you see the trouble? Oh, oh man, what gosh. about the third rail, Carl? What about the third rail? Should I piss on it? <laughs> that's Manhattan. That's not. Oh good. no, half, but half. <laughs> wake up! Oh no, Harvey Kurtzman's gonna Ow! kill him. Oh, wow. so Fuck you, turtle. This is what happens when you put your foot in a stupid place. Stupid things right. happen. This is all well, practical. I, I mean, okay, so that's good you took that. My takeaway was, you know, is the moral of not helping turtles. But you're right. It's smarter. Don't put your foot in a stupid place. <laughs> yeah. If you learn nothing else from this podcast, the message is don't put your foot in a stupid place. Or you'll look like this guy. It's weird like, how this film kills the main character in the very first, you know, in the scene. Right? Yeah, spoiler. No. He's a ghost for the rest of the movie. Did, did you mention <laughs> the director was Alfred Hitchcock? Because I am just riveted. <laughs> and also the special effects, like Michael Bay must, must have taken notes. Stick your foot. This is like Waterman-style special effects. Stick your foot <laughs> into <laughs> a rail. <laughs> pretend it's stuck. And, 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 try, and scream like you're getting your foot crushed. Mike, how did he stop the train? How did he stop the train? He was a goner. He was a dead man. Oh, yeah, he would have. It. Yeah, we kind of know it would have happened. Maybe it was at the end of the line anyway. So now the conductor's like, are your loafers okay? Is, there, is his loafers okay? Dick Miller? I didn't activate the brakes. Dun, dun, dun. But if you didn't activate the brakes. <gasps> Ooh, suspense. This is this is what you call a cliffhanger right here, right off the bat. You know, again, this is the day before Star Wars, so this is kind of like C-3PO and R2-D2 yeah. escaping escaping from the blockade runner. There's your uh, there's your cliffhanger. And again, this is this is as ugly as the '70s got, and that's saying a lot. Just look at this room. <laughs> Just look at that. Look at that deep burnt umber carpet. He has like a sandwich board advertisement in his house. Oh. Hey, how are you guys? Hop in. And that little burst of blue from oh no we don't get the little burst of blue from the the aquarium anymore oh, for a moment there Wait, it was almost the something cops? nice to look yeah, at. Yeah, what do the cops color. want? FBI. What did I do? I just hacked into the FBI. It's, oh no, that was an eighty three. Routine investigation. I'm just, I'm just a toe-headed twerp. Why are you talking to me? Is it because it's federal lands? The the railroads. Oh, and because <laughs> he's single. Oh, all right, ladies, he's single. <laughs> Okay, now I just want to comment uh, to the writer that this was dumb dialogue. That's not what would have happened. You're going to pick a guy up. You don't go, excuse me, where did you go to middle school? Do you, are you married? No, <laughs> it, this is the dude. They know. 
Plus, you know, 28 year old, single, 1977, California, gay. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah, they could have saved a lot of questions and just asked him if he was gay. I mean, you're absolutely right. You open the door, and the first question is like, are you single? <laughs> FBI. But again, they had like 90 minutes, you know, two hours with commercials, but it was essentially 90 minutes of network film, ne- network time to fill. So got to take these things slow. Oh, here's a look, another ugly setting. This should be beautiful. It's a shiny plane landing, but nope. Does you find it ironic that U.S. Air Force Airlines has been bank, uh, bankrupt and closed since the movie has been released? I'm sure it's a coincidence. It must yeah. be a coincidence. Oh, no, this I'm was shot in Southern out. California. Yep, sunny, beautiful L.A. Look at that. Look at that building. Well, you can I, see the other I building. I meant that to be a joke because it was a scene of the White House. <laughs> oh. And now we're at the building on stilts, the famous stilts building. See, that should appear at the bottom of the screen like in typewriter font. Stilts building. Yeah. And then I have still to an acronym with little periods after each uh, other. People walking from place to place. Get used to this, folks. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of people walking from point A to point B. Do you care about the people or what points A or point B are? No, but you're going to see them walking there. Say what you will about the VHS if you could fast forward through this. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, I agree may- with you. It's unnecessary the in-transit shots they always do of the car parking and walking all the way mm-hmm. up. Walking all the way through the park, you'll see as it goes along, and Sherilyn knows well, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Almost everything you saw on television in the 70s, especially anything that was geared towards adults, 90% of it was just people walking or driving from one place to another. And sometimes they they had crutches just to really, really stretch it out. Oh, yeah. Well, that was the thing. They probably hated this actor. Like, why don't we have a shot where you are on crutches and you walk from the parking lot to the uh, build a courtyard, a courtyard building. And you have to hug the guy who's going to be on Buck Rogers in three years. Right, he is. And also, Mike, we saw him in another one of our shows. I don't recall which movie. Because he lived right by my house for years and years and years. Oh. Glenn Wild Lake. In Hashtag humble brag. He lived in a, on, well, it's not my place. He lived in an island, actually. Uh, <laughs> off well, of New sure. Jersey? <laughs> Tim O'Connor lived in New Jersey on an island. That's right. He would fly out in his Buck Rogers spaceship to L.A. Yeah. Well, you, you try to ask him questions. He's like, no questions about man with the power. I'm going back to my island. <laughs> Moat gate up. Mike, can you move the mouse a little bit so yeah. we don't have the uh, stuff along the bottom He there. died. He okay. died. I can't interview him. He started on General Hospital. He was all over TV. Oh, yeah. No, this, he's a classic that guy, and this film is, is chock-a-block, I tell you. Chock-a-block with that guys. There are going to be so many Hey That Guys coming up. And not many Hey that's, hey that It's That Girls. There's not going to be very many women in this cast. We saw the uh, secretary earlier, and, right. of course, Princess Cyril will be coming up later. And that's going to be about it. Oh, by the way, in the 70s, you secured things by just putting a 4-H ribbon on the cabinet that said secured. And there you go. That's all the security you need right there. He lurched forward when he saw it, like, remove the lock. He's like, ooh. Oh, we're getting the secured stuff. Yeah. How classified. Oh, it's classified. I got to take the uh, secured thing out out of the file cabinet. So Now, Bob Neal plays uh, Mm -hmm. Will, right? And the thing is, he didn't ask any questions about who the hell are you government people? Why are you taking me to Washington? Where am, who am I going to see? What's going on? Would you just uproot your life and, you know, off to an appointment in Washington with no backstory, no understanding? Of course not. 
terrible writing here, I feel. Yeah, and, and I'd like to point that what we have here basically is the toe-headed twerp has now met his elder mentor who is going to be taking him into a wider world and helping the toe-headed twerp discover the powers that he didn't know that he had. I'd again like to point out that this, that this was on the air the night before Star Wars premiered. Just a coincidence. Just I'm just just pointing that out there for point, point putting that pointing that yeah, out for no reason. Yeah, that was a long time ago in a galaxy, kind of close. Yeah, yeah, closer <laughs> closer than you think. Yeah, I appreciate it. My family could afford Star Wars, so all my wish fulfillment came from the uh, TV airing of Man with the Powers before. <laughs> I don't need your Star Wars. I'm the man with uh, the power. And as the t- television ad pointed out, new for spring, not a rerun. When right. This, when this was yeah, on, it was spring. new for spring, not a rerun. We remember those days. Oh right? yeah, you hit it was the rerun. Half a year of entertainment and half a year of the same entertainment. Yeah. And there was like a threshold, like a uh, unvalley candy, like a, a point where it became like fresh programming to reruns, and that was around the spring. So yeah. Yep. And then, uh, but my favorite was actually right around this time. You know, in July and August. This is when the other unaired pilots, usually the comedy pilots, would be aired. They right. would burn them off in the late summer, half-hour comedy pilots, sometimes for shows that looked like they might have been interesting. Sometimes it was kind of a shame that you wouldn't know what would happen. I think the Duck Factory with uh, Jim Carrey is an example of that. Didn't that actually get picked up, though? Oh, my God. You might be re- I think yeah. that actually like ran for like half a season. Half a season. I think that went for like yeah. seven episodes, something like that. And But, of course, it got released on video. Of course, yeah. Yeah, Jim like Good Carrey. Times Which video released it in the 90s yeah. when yeah. Carrie hit. Yeah. Jim, Jim Carrey was in a sitcom. Like, this is before he broke. This is like twice been in Jim Carrey. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, they, they released it almost immediately once he hit big, you know. What's its name? It's called The Duck uh, Factory. He, and, uh, star- oh, I saw that. I was quacking up. <laughs> okay, so he's learning that there's life on other planets, yeah. and mm-hmm. one of them breathed oxygen, but it was all messed up, and they had to neutralize the poison. They had to reconfibulate the flabulator. So the guy came here to learn how to be a botanist so that they – what was it, Sherwin? So less oxygen can be sure. on that planet. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and by the way, he's your dad. So yeah, um, so the, so we, the toe-headed twerp has discovered that his father, his father that he didn't even know was a powerful alien who had who had magical abilities. And again, the toe-headed twerp is learning this from a uh, from an old mentor that he just met. So this is like Guardians of the Galaxy on a let's shoot it in an office building budget. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. This is very very Guardians of the Galaxy. He has that same kind of like you know James Gunn whip snap humor going on here. You can tell. <laughs> yeah, the James Gunn directing style. And uh, set up shot. Look at that, James Gunn. He keeps that. We saw the office after they left. They are killing time. They really are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How do you make a walking scene slower? Put one of them in crutches. Yeah. <laughs> I have to double well, speed he, when I watch this. He used to get out of the office. Was like he feels confined. He feels restricted. He's got to get out. And I mean, that's their way to convey. Like it was stressful to learn this backstory mm-hmm. and news mm-hmm. about your life. I think that. Just a little pinch of we give a shit, and they could have really acted that out. Like, what are you talking about? Are you kidding me? What you haven't told me this for years? Right. Yeah. Let's have a little realism. Well, uh, give a shit was a valuable commodity in the 1970s, and TV movies like this, even pilots, could not even afford a pinch of it. That was just the yeah. That was just not in the books for them. Mike, we saw that a little bit in the Killdozer film. 
Right, well, the killdozer was nihilistic. He was going to kill everybody and for no other reason. And no, no reason explained. It just became... I'm just saying the, like, give a shit about it. Like, they kind of didn't give a shit on that movie. <laughs> they, no, they just didn't. were, like, shooting the script. Yeah. Okay, so he's gonna he's recapping the plot for us now. So thank you for that. I'm sorry, recap. Remind- Fuck it, we'll call it a plot. Let's go with plot. Sure, why not? It does remind me of like Mark. We Millar, should go there. Uh, like the movie Wanted with Angelina Jolie, where this kids discover he has this power, like this wish fulfillment of like, oh, I I I'm I can destroy everything. And so just just to clarify, that's Wanted and not Salt, right? Right. Okay, I get those yeah. two. I get those two confused all well, the time. Salt, I think she's a the hero, and uh, Wanted, she's a, like oh, a mentor, okay, adversary. Sure. Oh my gosh, they're trying to get a little production value production value in here hence by going into the museum and oh, boy, I think, we I think of all the space. interesting movies we could be watching with like rockets and shit in them <laughs> we could be watching something about the apollo slash soyas but nope our movie has rocket ships in it <laughs> fuck you star wars we Bobby. got rocket ships too this is like one of three <laughs> scenes where they go somewhere interesting that gives them free production value oh yeah there's like rocket ships in this it's like more than i've seen the star wars the next day they went to the museum where they had them on display. Yeah, it's like I think this is the last time when this kind of rocket ship was exciting to kids. Then tomorrow, the next day after this, Star Wars changed everything. But, yeah, right. You know? But up through May twenty fourth, nineteen seventy seven, it's like, oh my god, look, there's solar panels from a satellite. That is so exciting. Wow, space is cool. Also, it's pre nine eleven, so they just probably walked into the museum with the camera crew. Oh yeah, and, no, yeah. yeah, they didn't even need the permits or anything. Yeah, what do you do it? It's an ABC after school. Yeah, say no more. Yeah. Look, we've got a character actor wearing a bow tie. What more do you need to know? That's yeah. it. All right. We'll turn our backs. You know, that's an interesting observation. It's pretty – it's really good. This was the last second that these ships were cool. Mm-hmm. Star Wars was about to release. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> it's kind of like when you go to if – you, if you're old enough like me to remember the pre-Star Wars version of Tomorrowland. You know, in the 80s, it was still the kind of like 50s retro future, bright, shiny mm-hmm. tomorrow kind of thing. And now's Tomorrowland is just has been like totally Star Warsified. It's pretty much the, the same effect at work. Really? So there's no Tomorrowland? There's Tomorrowland, but it's pretty much all Star Wars branded at this point. Because, all right, so as a white male, I'm going to complain about that. I can't go to Star Wars uh, Disneyland anymore because of the, they changed something from my, when I was, went there earlier. When I was little. <laughs> yeah, I was little. It's been ruined by Star Wokeness. Star Wokeness. Okay, now what we've learned is the reason he was able to stop this train is he essentially has some form of kinesis, telekinesis. Yes, he has some kind of force working for him. Yes. It's got rules. And one of the main rules is that somehow it involves light and photons. Like maybe they push the object. I don't know. But he he needs light (sighs) to, um, um, to be able to use his ability. What is his ability? I don't get it. It's the power. What more do you need to know? He's the man. Well, the twerp with the power. He, so it's tele- <laughs> Which is the most, I just love how generic, that is like the most generic superhero name ever. It's like, that's how much they don't give a shit yeah. about. The, the, about the man with the power. It's like, you could not get more generic than that. It was before uh, internet searches, for that's for sure. Because mm-hmm. I type in the man with the power and I'm back to like, you know, boner pill ads. <laughs> Nothing. The man with the Cialis. Keyword, uh, man, power, the, with. Okay, you want to know what his power is? So yeah. here, we don't really learn, okay? Nope. Basically, <laughs> no, he's going to be not. able to move things with his mind, <laughs> right? But he's got to get into it and learn how to do it. So watch what happens to this ball. 
oh, cool, is he going to take out, is, it, is the ball going to start flying around, and he's going to take out his lightsaber, and then the old guy's going to be like, okay, but now put on the blast shield down so you can't see it, and oh, no, they're just going <laughs> to stare at a ball bearing. Okay, cool. <sighs> Focus. Or more, you just know the director's off screen doing the draw it out motion, you know, like putting his fingers together, then yeah. pulling them apart. It's like, draw it out, draw it out. <laughs> <laughs> too uh, much. Too oh, soon. There's the pyro. Whoa. There's the pyro budget for the whole film. Uh, right there. That is. That man has power. They put some firecrackers in a cardboard box, and they, there you go. They literally blew up the uh, budget right in that shot. Whoa! I just wanted the ball to move. I didn't know uh, they explode. So let's see. Yeah, let's see all of him using the fire extinguisher. Okay, is it done? <laughs> all right, good. Double more sprays. It's gold. It's all gold. We We're need at the all. the 15-minute mark. <sighs> wow. You know, I don't like him without a bow tie. I'm calling it. <laughs> it's like the. I thought I would like him in the teal vest without a bow tie, but nope. Dude needs a bow tie. I like the sweater vest because you can put your phone in there. Uh, fair, fair point. Fair point. Oh, stop looking at us like that. Yeah. Go to commercial. Go to commercial. Go to commercial. Oh, thank goodness. Uh, you. That's close. Boy, I'm going to move you, Egg. I always love how this is. Now, this like, uh, director was all about not landing. He directed <laughs> every single episode of Not Landing. Oh, oh! I thought you meant not landing his <laughs> yeah, career. Because th I nothing, in, nothing in this land, film is not landing. landing oh, this guy had a career. This guy was TV. <laughs> this guy was all over directing TV shows. Except he did do a movie you might have heard of, 1975's The Happy Hooker. Uh, goes to Hollywood? Uh, Washington? I might have heard of that, yeah. Good old Z little Xavier Hollander, Hollander action there, yeah. <laughs> Oh, so magazine. he did that major motion picture, but the, then he immediately was on TV, and he did a million different shows. You name it, he, he di directed an episode or two. And I'd like to think that every one of those, a refrigerator got egged. Yeah, that became like his kind of like 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 Tarantino yeah. with the bare feet. With this guy, it was an egg being thrown at, at a steel refrigerator. You're raw egg, happy hooker. I'm not well, happy this with is it. This a comedy. This is the comedy portion, right, Sheriff? Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. This is this is the montage. Yeah, this is this is the training montage, and this is where things get really funny. Where it's like he thinks he knows how to control his powers. Oh no, he doesn't. And hijinks ensue. Uh, and pandemonium uh, uh, reigns. Uh, uh. Chaos reigns. Look at that. Yeah, but it's always the same object. Like it's a concrete object. I want the egg to move. Egg moves, but it hits the wall. It's not like the house implodes. And, like and, the barn moves. And, they, and again, they spend so much time on. And we're not even we're not even halfway through the learning about his powers. And all that matters is that he learns to use his powers. Why the powers work, it doesn't matter. Uh, whatever, it's a force that can that goes throughout the universe and binds us all together. There you go, that's all you need. <laughs> but no, we're gonna get so much about like photons and like oh, what yeah. he can and can't do. We're gonna like spend so much man. time on the actual nature of his abilities. And you know what, it's not gonna matter. None of it's gonna matter. I, I should mention that our, the premise of our podcast is that we watch movies that I've read about in books, but now they're available on YouTube. And Sherilyn actually wrote the book on this movie. Uh, well, a, right. the book I, on the actress. I, I think out. I wrote the book that the only book that goes into as much detail about this movie. <laughs> I don't think any other book has ever gone into much detail about this movie as mine did. And uh, now full disclosure, she posted this. Interrupt! Yeah. I've got to show our Star Trek connection. Oh yes, yes, yeah, go Star for it. Trek yeah. Well, it's Q. It's yeah, Q that's John Delancey. Yeah, exactly right. Who, who and uh, every show we have a Star Trek connection. You know the other big one coming up, but every show we have at least one. Yep. Yep. A young and baby-faced. Look at that. Oh, my yep. gosh. 
young and sexy John Delancey. Ah, yeah. And you know, then you look at John Delancey, then you look at this guy, and you're like, why is this guy? Why is the toe-headed twerp the hero? Why not John Delancey? I want to see, you know, we know, we know John Delancey is the man with the power. He's Q. He should be the one knocking over the, uh, the chess right. pieces. Well, he will go on to make the man with the power uh, to get girls. Yeah, chew it out, chew it out. I'm uh, just going to walk over here before I continue the scene. There we go. I just look at this. Just look at this. I mean, sad. It's not a set. They just like went to a fucking hospital or something and shot. But this is what passed for entertainment. I think the kids these days, kids these days, don't understand that in the seventies, this is what we watched on TV. Oh, absolutely. This is what yeah. counted as entertainment. This is what we got excited about. It's linear. You would have to wait till nine o'clock p.m. to watch it, mm-hmm. and then you would have to watch it and wait for the commercials. And if you had a VCR at that point, then you had a VCR at that point, but. Rarely did anyone did until the 80s, and you would watch it and next day talk about it, and mm-hmm. that was it. And now I'd like to point this this scene here for how much the, how formulaic this is. And again, this is before Superman, but what what we have here is he just learned his powers, and now he's walking by an industrial place, and it's possible there might be an accident which will require him to use his powers. It's what like, are the do you, odds? I don't know. I mean, I mean, look at that big thing. That's gonna be fine. Oh, oh my gosh! Oh, no, but there's here's some kids. Involved. There's what kids. Oh, dear, there's kids. No, no, don't go in there. Don't go in there. Don't kid. go in there where there's a big, there's a big concrete block in oh, there. Oh, no. Hey, what are the odds? Like, oh, they're going in, too? What are the odds? It's like, no, Lois, don't, Lois, don't get on that helicopter on top of the Daily Planet. Things might go bad. Oh, but nope. Lois is getting into that helicopter on top of the Daily Planet. Oh, my God. Look out. There's a puppy parade, too. Oh, these kids deserve it. The problem right? is they don't have enough hard hats. If they had three hard hats, they'd be fine. I have no sympathy for these kids anymore. They went into <laughs> they start playing with these dudes. The tools good for them. Oh gosh, there's a giant concrete block which is about to drop on the kids. How can you see that? I mean, that's got to be that's like got to be two tons, five tons. Let's let's say that let's say that's two tons of concrete right over the kids. Oh uh, come on, uh, man! Come the on. power save the kids. He's like, come on, come on. Make it go, move it, make it go away, make it go. Whoa. Oh, oh! So now there's two ton, now there's two tons of rubble falling on the kids. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right our on. hero, ladies and gentlemen, our hero. He um, just dropped two tons of rubble on the kids. Yeah, pelted with rubble. <sighs> you saved me. Now, Mike, you might say to yourself, "This guy just saved three kids' lives. That must inspire him. Like he could really do something good in this world with the power." But no, he's going to go in there to Tim O'Connor and yeah. uh, mm-hmm. with bow tie or not and say, I quit. He is going to turn down the call to adventure. Hey, you know, I, that is the important thing because this is pure Joseph Campbell stuff. This is like <laughs> absolutely paint by numbers. It's like, but I can't. I, my, uncle, you know, my uncle wants me to stay for the next season and I have to go get the power converters. <laughs> I can't go with you to rescue the princess. I just can't. I'm, I'm sorry. That was the, that hadn't happened yet. That was the next day. That was that was going to happen the twelve next, hours later. Yeah. Well, I, you know, if you ask me, that's Carl, your uncle talking. <laughs> I've seen zapped. So what you do with your telekinesis power is you go and you lift a lady's dress up. Exactly. Yeah, and then take yeah, use it for the poster. There's no realism to this film. I mean, if an average Joe like me or you, Mike, had this power, we'd right. be lifting up girls' dresses. Yeah. So and then if I'm invisible, I would go into the locker room. Uh, if I had Hong x-ray, Hong. x-ray vision, that's a given. Uh, yeah, there's plenty of creeper abilities, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I was an invisible man in the locker room, girls' locker room, you'd just be hearing honk, 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 honk. 
And you know shit's about to get real because as he was sitting down, he unzipped his beige jacket the rest of the way. That's kind of a sign of him like loosening up and yeah. beginning to accept his accept his uh, his destiny. This must have been the first TV movie in the seventies without ties. They must have hit that threshold. Right? It's like, yeah, neither of them are wearing any kind of ties now, not even the old guy in the bow tie. It's yeah. so weird. The cheap suit or the cheap three piece suit is my favorite. It's a good one, yeah. Ah, uh, brown on brown on beige on brown on beige. By the way, everybody you see their wardrobe in this film will be pristine. They just bought this stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, this guy, that he should be covered in the rubble that's also killed the three kids. <clears throat> <laughs> that would have worked. Yeah. It could have disappeared. I mean, I've seen TV movies where the item's like, it's no longer there. Whoop, 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 whoop. Mm -hmm. They didn't have to explode shit in front of the kids. But they felt like Look the only... Uh, Tim O'Connor's eyes will be all like, I can't believe this shit the whole time. Oh, yeah, no. He, I mean, he, and this was very much a dry run for Buck Rogers where he constantly has that, but Buck, you have to go save the universe kind of look. He was like the sidekick to Buck? He was his boss. No. Memory serves. Yeah. Didn't you remember Buck Rogers in the 25th century, right? Uh, yeah, Mike, he was the yeah. leader of... He was... Like what was that woman's name? The love interest. Um... Well, Erin Gray was the actress. The char oh, right, character course. name. Well, there's no there's no character there, so we'll just call her Erin Gray Aaron for Gray. all the difference it makes. <laughs> yeah. Of different of uh, silver spoons, of course we know Erin Gray, and of crossword puzzle fame. Sure. Beady 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 beady. You stink, Tim. You know. <laughs> Good male blank. I like little, that. The little robot. He was trying to be a droid. Yeah. Tweaky. Tweaky. Yeah. It was a Mel Blanc. It was like one of the last times we had like original Mel Blanc material. And there is one. There's there's the, the that's cool. The best moment. I'm gonna say the best moment in all of Buck Rogers is actually in the pilot, when Tweaky, you know, Buck is like, you know, having is like, oh my gosh, I'm in the future. Everyone, I know, everyone I knew and loved is dead. And he takes a drink, <laughs> and and Tweaky says, beady 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 beady, hiam. <laughs> that's Mel Blake that's, for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah it's right. Mel Blake saying Lahayam as as. Bob Bill's not dead. Yeah. Yeah. Six centuries later. <laughs> also, Dorothy Stratton appeared in Buck Rogers, which is not which is not something that went unnoticed in Bob Fosse's Star Eighty, which I which I watched recently. Oh, I like we that actually movie. we actually see uh, Dorothy Stratton's uh, newspaper ad for her role on Buck Rogers. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So you, and a newspaper I know less, which I, I uh, so you, you watched uh, Sweet Charity? Yes, I, yeah, I've gone through like the whole Bob Fosse uh, canon yeah. recently. Uh, as a big ALF fan, I have to give a shout out to the late Max Wright. Yes, who is in All That Jazz yeah. as the producer of The Stand Up, which is the stand-in for but, Lenny. Yeah, I yeah. love that guy. Yeah, Max, Max Wright. Wright is like, if, he, if he's well, not coked up, then it's like right. the best performance ever because he comes across so coked up in the film. It's amazing. Sorry, Carl. So Wait. yeah, this movie's going, still going on, by the way. Yeah, now the bad with the power is at home well, in his ugly, ugly yeah, see, home. Yeah, that's what just like you were saying, Sherilyn. We saw his long walk home. Mm -hmm. We didn't cut to, I mean, I don't want to ruin it for Mike, but I do. We didn't cut to the next important event that's about to happen. Oh, yeah, second. any minute we now. We saw five, two minutes, one minute. I don't know. We saw a bunch of walking. Yeah. And now we get a little upskirt shot of the man with the power here. Oh, oh there we go. That's the stuff. That's the good stuff. Power's hanging low that's and right. easy. 
Yes. Now I can see he's not. No, wait. I did it wrong. Fuck. <laughs> Never mind. Not on NBC, the man with the penis. Oh, wait. What's happening here? What is uh, this? Whoa. Whoa. <gasps> Too much power. Someone's turning a light on the roof. Man's got the power. Luke, you will go to Dagobah. There you will be trained by Yoda. He. Oh, no, I guess not. All right. Oh, my God. He's haunted by a Whoa. Nickelodeon. I'm what the butler saw 100 years ago. Even though you're an earthling. Racist. Oh, my God. Uh, so, yeah, we're like a half hour in and still trying to, you know, he's still trying to accept his powers and what he can do with them. He's still explaining it. This guy's now literally explaining he has powers. <laughs> A uh, well, derp no, face. No, that is a derp no. face right saying, there. No, he, what happens here is they somehow know he's like, screw this. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to use my powers. So he's showing up to say, listen, you got to use your powers for good. Mm-hmm. You got to go that's, rescue the princess. That's what this scene's all about. Yes, and week after week, I'll come back with a new mission. Hopefully, <laughs> if we get picked up. This was a failed pilot. Yes, sure, it was. You know all about that, Sherilyn. Yeah, it did not happen, but... Would would Persis be a regular? Then she would film? not. Yeah. Oh, then fuck this film. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Persis felt very strongly about not doing not doing television series, not being not being a regular. Ex- the one big exception was that shortly after this was broadcast, it was announced that Star Trek would be returning as a television series. Oh, that. And that she cool. was a Star Trek fan from. When she'd moved from India to England in 1970, and she saw on the BBC, she was, it was the first TV show that she'd seen in England, you know, English language TV show that had people on it that looked like her, that had women on it that were like dark skinned, that were not like blonde, you know, blonde and blue eyed. So when the opportunity came up to do to be on Star Trek on the new series, she went for it. But she was also very glad when it became Star Trek the Motion Picture, because she was very worried, rightfully so, about being typecast. Oh yeah, and, and she figured, you know, this is so much better. It's like I'll shave my head for the film. The film will come out. My hair will grow back, and I won't be typecast because I'll have my hair again. But all, that makes sense. It made yeah, it made perfect sense, except for the fact that nobody liked the movie, and she became the visual symbol for what people didn't like about the film. She became the bald chick from the slow, boring Star Trek movie, and that was always, always well. That was one of many things that was held against her. The other thing being she was an exotic woman who refused to take her clothes off. Oh, yeah. She was in a lot of movies where she should have, like, had the, she had the opportunity to take her clothes off. She refused to. Yeah. She always she could have been in Conan. She was offered Conan the Barbarian, uh-huh. the role that went to Sandal Bergman from All That Jazz, but she refused to do it because she wouldn't take her clothes off. Also, Cat People, Paul Schrader's Cat People, the, ro- the, ro- the role that went to Natasha Kinski, and that is a shot from her uh, – modeling career in the 1970s though i'm, <laughs> though I'm yeah. pretty sure in the early 70s i'm pretty sure it was airbrushed though because she's showing more side boob there than she normally would it was american it was their their uh transcript crew their localization uh, department must have yeah. side boobs i'm pr- yeah i'm pretty sure that was airbrushed yeah is that a star trek connection carl that's her star trek connection the photo what that photo itself well that photo was Miss Universe, I guess, in 1965, right? That no, actually, that so, one. Uh, well, she was Miss. She was Miss India in 1965, and then she participated in Miss Universe that same year, but did not make it to the finals. So maybe that was just. Uh, but no, okay. that, that photo was not, from her early 70s. That was probably about 72, 73. Her modeling career in England. Oh, okay. So that was after. Okay. Yeah. So she is our next Star Trek connection, and 
everybody already knows. I mean, we've talked about it at least. Yes, yes, she was Ilya in Star Trek The Motion Picture, which was a not a good experience for her. The shooting, I go into great detail about it in the book. It was a very, very difficult experience for her. The first Star Trek movie. Yes. The name of the book. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I've written, I've now written, God help me, I've now written two books about that fucking movie. Uh, uh, We should mention we have recorded and we'll be playing later down the line an episode with Charlene where we do, we watch a TV movie that premiered the night of uh, Star Trek, the motion picture. Yeah, December 7th, 1979. Yeah, so uh, stay tuned for that. That'll be in a couple of weeks. We'll be playing, airing that. So we, we have a live opportunity to be in the studio. Uh, Space Jam, we're the new legacy it. came out. We wanted to celebrate. Of course. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, so we're, we're having Sherilyn here first uh, to do this movie, The Man with the Power. And by the way, the man is still learning how his powers work. We are still spending so much time on what he can and cannot do. And what this uh, actually makes, what this to bring up the Star Wars connection again, there's so much time being spent on, again, what he can and can't do. Spoiler, he does very little going forward. <laughs> and what it makes me think of is how if Star Wars had just been that one film, if it had flopped and there had not been 8 million pieces of content coming after it, if it had just been that film and you watch that film, you're like, oh, cool. He just got this shiny sword, this lightsaber. I bet he's going to do cool stuff with it later on. Luke getting the lightsaber does not pay off in the first Star Wars film. He doesn't. He doesn't really use it. It doesn't. It doesn't really factor yeah. into the story later on. And that's kind of the same thing here. His powers gives many opportunities later on to use use his powers to advance the story, and it just does not happen because you know it's a TV movie in 1977. <laughs> nothing. Oh, yeah. Nothing has to pay off. Now they must have gone to like some uh, bioengineering firm or just some tech firm and were like, "Can we shoot here?" Uh, and then get out like some industrial work mm-hmm. for. Oh for yeah. It. It's like we need the blandest, most eye-searingly white fluorescent light room that you've got. And we want to have the overhead, and we're going to get those in the shot. We are absolutely going to have yeah. those eye-searing. You know, the, the DP was probably like, I'm fucking Greg Tolan doing Citizen Kane over here. Look at those ceiling <laughs> shots. Oh, yeah. This, this, is, this, is, this is like Kane and Leland coming to the, the New York Inquirer the first time. What about the location manager? He's like, do you have a place with a red telephone on the wall? Yeah, yeah. It's next to a blue thing. A blue thing? What about lab coats? They're on the coat rack. <laughs> okay, my heart be still. We're, we're going to go over and shoot. Look at Tim gawking again. Yeah, and you know what? He's finally got the bow tie back. I, I got to mention gawking, that gawking. I, I got to ask it had Star Trek became a uh, Star Trek to the television series and uh, her character was on the show. Would her character die? And do you feel like her character would be also the targeted scapegoat for the, if there was a disaster? Her character would have returned. In fact, uh, it wasn't until they were filming the motion picture that it was decided like during filming, they decided to kill her off. The idea had always been that she would return so if it had been a TV series, the pilot would have been roughly still the same story. Right. You know, the big thing comes to Earth, turns out it's the Voyager, bleh, all that stuff. Um, I think that given the chance, she could have been as much a object of fandom fantasies as Seven of Nine was later on. Mm-hmm. I really think that if Star Trek II had gone to series, and by the way, the series would not have been called Star Trek Phase Two. I just want to throw that out there. Right. You know, most Trekkies now refer to as Star Trek Phase Two. It would not have been called that. It would have been called Star Trek Two. It just would have. Which is the worst TV title I've ever. Well, heard. It's, a, it's a bad title. Don't get yeah. me wrong. It's a terrible title, but that's what it would have been called. But had it gone to series and had she been a regular, I do think it would have been. She would have actually had. It would have been developed as a character. 
And the thing is, Ilea is not a character in Star Trek the Motion Picture. No. She's never really developed no, as a character. she's a vehicle who's used and she, by well, And here's an important thing. She's killed halfway through. Ilea, the character, is killed halfway through the movie and replaced by a robot. And those are two different things. By the way, uh, the fellow there with the, uh, the the sort of like puzzling evidence-looking guy there, that is that is Noel de Souza. Oh, my God. You know, I didn't realize that the puzzling evidence was puzzling evidence until I saw the Subgenius documentary. I go, I hung out with this guy all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you hung out with the guy, who sh- the man who shot Bob. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, shot Bob. Yeah. That was pretty yeah. funny. But also, 1977 TV movie, we have this We have this Air Force One plane, so we're going to see it taxiing in. Oh, yes. All gold. All gold. Don't, don't cut away. Don't cut away. It's so ironic because they went out of business and you never see our U.S. Air Force liner lines anymore. That joke didn't work the first time, but goddamn it! Oh, I'll, oh, I, I'll do you one. I'll do you one better. While this was on the air, Persis Kabata was appearing in a Pan Am commercial. Oh, all right. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> speaking, speaking, of, yeah, so speaking of dead airlines, yeah. Yeah. So my joke was grounded, Carl. In reality. <laughs> Very oh. nice. Yeah, it wasn't just dead air. <laughs> wow. Now, three if people? Star Trek had had a second series, I would have been phased. Phased. I see what you did there. Nice. I would have been phased too. Ah. It's so interesting too because if you're watching a new now. series and they kill a character off to revise it, had the series get canceled, they never revise them. Because she has Mary Tyler Moore hair. Thirty-eight minutes into the movie. Yep. Now these two are gonna sort of fall in love. Oh yeah! Can't you feel the crackling, the crackling chemistry right there? I just about to say that I've got to tell you that we don't I think it happens at the carnival but you don't really get I mean they just don't have any spark together I mean if Q had been here maybe she would have you know her eyes would have lit up a little bit but this guy has no spark the red phone on the wall has more chemistry I absolutely agree with you about that regarding the lack of chemistry however the carnival scene that's coming up okay a it's that classic thing of low budget films using carnivals <laughs> as 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 production value which is like one of my favorite things in low budget films go to go to a carnival of course this one gets it wrong because you're supposed to do a carnival at night when all the lights are on and this is a carnival a boardwalk carnival during the day so that's a cheat but what it is one of her best English language scenes. And as we get to it, I'll explain why. It's like one of my favorite performances of hers, again, for reasons that we'll get to. And uh, something, something else that, that she liked about this particular TV movie was the fact that she was introduced in a sari, but for the rest of it, she gets to wear westernized clothes. And that was something that was very important to her was that she, you know, she did not want to be limited to like as she put it, always playing an exotic princess from the Bay of Bengal, right. which is what this character is. But you know, she's you know, already getting to wear more of a Western dress here, and she'll be in a seriously American 70s outfit for the rest of the film. And for her, that was what she wanted from her career. She wanted to be able to play roles where it wasn't all about her being different. Mm-hmm. And of course, her name is Siri, which is you know, hilarious to us now for, uh, for different reasons entirely. Also, Eric is a very manly name. That has got to be a weird translation. I would love to know what the original English line was. It was almost because, you know, this is, you know, the French subtitle, uh, subtitled from the French. Right. So. I saw this film, uh, you know, in preparation for today. And, yeah, I pretty much saw it in French. When you were talking about how, you know, in the carnival she'll be, what, it's one of your favorite, like her, what were you saying, her accent or whatever? It's like, ah, I missed that because I saw it in French. <laughs> 
Oh, it's funny because I was raising the volume to hear how she sounds, and it was the dubbed. Uh, it, yeah, it's a dubbed version, yeah. so we don't actually. But it's not. It's not actually about her voice, which again is dubbed, but her her facial expressions. It's about her. You know, oh, okay, good. Yeah. It's about her, her nonverbal acting is the phrase that I'm going for here. And she gets to express emotions that she doesn't. She's very re- excited. When she's happy. Yeah, yeah, fuck it. I'm going to say it. Like, really watch in the carnival scenes coming up how much fun she's having. I mean, she's acting, but you're also seeing Persis Kambata genuinely enjoying herself on screen. And that happened very, very rarely in her career. Most of the time, she had to, like, look intense you know, or look grim, you know, because she was playing a she was playing a robot, or she was playing a terrorist, or what have you. She was a terrorist in Nighthawks. She was a terrorist in Nighthawks, yeah. and mm-hmm. you know, she was like a military officer, sort of, kind of in Megaforce, Megaforce. which Megaforce. is a, oh Megaforce. god, Megaforce is. A, See, it's not words. Speaking of speaking of movies where nobody else has ever written as much about it as me, I go into a lot of detail about Megaforce and why it turned out the way that it did. Well, I'm a Hal Needham fan, so it was an eye-opener reading that. I, and I've listened to his commentary tracks. I know how he is. Oh, Hal Needham fascinates me. There's, a, there's actually from the same publisher as my books. We've been talking about doing a book of essays about Smokey and the Bandit. Yeah. And about, like, specifically Smokey and the Bandit and its importance in Southern culture. But I, if, we, if it does happen, I will be doing a, I will be doing an essay called "Hal with an exclamation point: The Life and Films of Hal of Hal, of Hal Needham." We we did a Hal Needham sh- uh, movie on this uh, sh- uh, show, The Cannibal Runs, on YouTube. Oh, are they? Is it really? Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we were surprised to find Cannibal Run on YouTube, but there it was, and Mike loves that film. We had done <laughs> Cannonball Run four, I think. What was it? Three. Oh yeah, so we we've done speed, speed zone. zones, yeah, speed zone? speed yeah. <laughs> with Jamie Farr, the winner of uh, uh, Camel Run yeah. Two, showing up to pass the torch. Yeah, and I, and two, I haven't really seen that much, but I've seen like Stroker Ace, like how and how Needham and and uh, but other movies that she was in, she was a uh, like a post-apocalyptic. Uh, I mean, if we want to run down her, her English yeah. language English English filmography, was the film called The Wilby Conspiracy by Ralph Nelson in 1974. Uh, Michael Anderson's Conduct Unbecoming in 1975. She's only in it for like five minutes, and it's not its not good, to put it mildly. Uh, this in 1977, Star Trek the Motion Picture in 1979, Nighthawks Night in 1981, Megaforce in 1982. <laughs> and then things start to get kind of weird because her that Megaforce was her last Hollywood studio film, and even though it wasn't really Hollywood studio, but it still got a wide release. Yeah. Then things get kind of weird because she's starting to do but like – Low-budget indie films. Oh, that was Warrior of the Lost World. That was like an indie, low-budget film. It wasn't a Hollywood film. It was very much not a Hollywood film, yeah. It had a Hollywood director or a guy who'd like done, who'd been a DP on like Clint Eastwood films as the director, but it was Italian money, and it was shot in Italy. So you have your Warrior of the Lost World. You have a straight-to-video shot on video film called First Strike, which is huh. super hard to find. But I do have a copy which I might upload to YouTube, so maybe that can be watched at some point. Yes, Who knows? Yes. Going forward. Um, so yeah, worry the lost now, world we for a strike. Gem. Oh, we here. Missed, okay, she, we, so we missed the gem when he didn't like the bodyguard. He just didn't like him, so we made him spill coffee on himself. Ah, so, so we missed this. Yeah. Now I think. But we're at the carnival, and she's having fun. About. She gets to smile and be happy. And of course, like the story-wise, it's not great because you know the man is using his power to cheat, <laughs> so she's not really winning. But she, for my money, she is selling it. 
and I'm saying this as someone who has like watched every one of all every moment that she's been on film I've like watched it and studied it because that's just the kind of thing I do to myself apparently and she is like genuinely enjoying herself and wait till we get to the bear there's a moment with the bear the moment with the bear which to me is just like Persis really coming through oh yeah she's having a good time yeah and he gets to be in a movie what a coincidence this guy's probably an actual actor. There he is. There's the bear. She's off. Yay. Yeah, she loves the bear. And uh, I was like, did I sell telekinesis? How do they do that? And, you know, there's no, you know, carnies don't like it when you cheat. Yeah. No, no nobody no. has a stronger moral foundation than a carny. They don't it, care for that goes stuff. Against, goes against everything they believe in. And I was trying to figure out where this was. I have not yeah. been able to figure out what boardwalk this was. It probably doesn't exist anymore. Okay, the pinball scene. Oh, well, first off, this is the late 70s, so it's all pinball. So mm-hmm. maybe one space war in the back. Maybe you have a space war like the, uh, the, the, the shark shooting game like you saw briefly in Jaws. But yeah. otherwise, we're going to spend a lot of time playing pinball here. Two, two, well, two games for a quarter, you guys spend a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Look at this. She says she wants to play every one, remember? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She, oh. Lo- she loves herself some pinball. She is a pinball wizard, so far as she knows. She doesn't know how to use the flipper, though. You right. Use well, the she's deaf, dumb, and blind. Don't be so <laughs> Okay, here, here, let's try it again. Ball's going to go down. Oh, ball's taking time. All right, ready? Come oh. on, flipper. Oh, oh. I, I can't do it. You're moving the ball. I just want to do the, can I do it on myself? Also, I just love the Requiem for a Dream shots of his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like every time we see that, it's like, oh, he's shooting up. There we no. go. So well, they've got to be tilting it. They've, uh, you know, mm-hmm. off screen. They've got to be, they must have done a shot in which they. Oh, yeah, there's tilting. And there's con- to mm-hmm. accomplish that. Yeah, and the camera moving around and it's all like, that. And think of how much time we're spending on this. this. Is network time that we're spending on just shot, just wobbly shots of a, <laughs> of, a, of, a of a pinball field. Yeah, I could still hear my dad saying, "Enjoy this, no Star Wars." But again, those shots of Persis, she is having fun. It's like both as the character, but she is like selling it. I believe that she herself was actually like genuinely enjoying playing the game. And the hair is not bad. Again, I gotta say the. Uh, <laughs> the flip works for her. But okay. She wants to play all the games. She can't. Grab that bear, Persis. Grab that bear. Oh, yeah. She is not leaving without that fucking bear. <laughs> Which is necessary for continuity because that was certainly shot at a different yeah. time than all of these. But still, I just love her grabbing the bear. And there's another right. there's another right. moment coming up which, I mean, this was all scripted, but it feels like a very Ooh. Persis moment. What, yeah, how she's going to bet. So let, let, let's watch here. What she wants to bet on for uh, for this for this weird game of chance, and yes, it is a b- beautiful bear. That's true. But what number does she want to bet on? Oh, lucky there's gonna number. be a, there's gonna be a little turnaround here. Blue. She wants her lucky number is blue. Except so she doesn't have a lucky number. You got to bet on numbers. She just wants to play blue. Now, <laughs> Persis was Persis was in numerology. She did believe that numbers you know had meanings and all that. But this feels like her to me. This feels like. Fuck you! I'm not going to play a number. I want to play blue. <laughs> That's just that that this again. This whole scene, it's not great. It's in the service of a bad movie, which is just filling out time. It's filling out time. <laughs> but it feels like almost in spite of the film's best efforts, a little bit of actual character is showing through. Gallant Fox, hey! <laughs> That's blue. This dude's like now that guy. His face looks very. Oh yeah, this is this is another. Hey, it's that guy. Again, this movie, a chock-a-block, I tell you, chock-a-block with Hey, It's That Guys. 
He gives him a cane. He yeah. knows the guy cheated. And that's not even a cane. That's like what you use. For, that's, well, that's a cane that you use, like, you know, if you break the law in Singapore. That's what you get. That's, <laughs> that's you get what you get caned with. with. Yeah. <laughs> oh, let's go to Tunnel Terrace. I could cane you. All right. We got all the spanking tools. Let's go. You ever go in, like, the lover's uh, lane or whatever it's called? The, the, the love? Love. Yeah. I, love tunnel, tunnel of love. Tunnel of love. And all you hear is spanking. It's terrifying. <laughs> and she's still holding Boy, the bear. Was, if she lost that bear, she just couldn't bear it. Mm. Ah. She would be bear. Yeah, I used to shoot a shot with a bear. Pep. Now, those guys are going to have to not enjoy themselves. They're working right now. Mm-hmm. But this guy, there's another that guy. That's yeah. Vic Morrow. Oh, that's Vic Morrow, yeah. Watch out for the helicopter. There, I got it out of the way. Got it out of the way. <laughs> not funny. <laughs> that's why you're laughing. That's why you're laughing is you're saying not Too funny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You see him in the Mike, film. Do you know about that? You, you're talking about he uh, his, he died on on a movie set. Right, Twilight Zone. Yeah. Yeah, he got him and two other children. God, that's terrifying. Uh, Twilight Zone. Uh, John Landis was acquitted for it eventually, but mm-hmm. uh, the helicopter it was it was shot late at night. It was overshot, and the pro, the, the helicopter decapitated him. And every time I see a yeah. movie with Vic yeah. Moreau. I go, that guy was great. Who was that? Oh, that's Vic Moreau, the helicopter guy. Oh, <laughs> the helicopter guy. guy. So there was ah, the chloroform. Remember when everyone got chloroformed uh, oh, yeah. all the time in the 70s? Where did you get the handkerchief? That was the only handkerchief market. No one ever actually used them. Can I get six handkerchiefs? Oh, uh, yeah, you need some chloroform <laughs> with that? I, I got my own. Though. You don't have to sell me that. And one thing, I, something I'd like to point out about this, about this film as far as Persis's filmography goes Again, not great. She was just assaulted there, but also the man was as well. So that's kind of that's kind of nice. Both her and the yeah. hero both got their asses kicked at the same time. But this is one of her rare English language films in which, especially during the 70s, in which she is neither killed nor raped. Otherwise, she got raped and or killed a lot in, in her, in her uh, English language films in the 70s. But this is like the rare, she gets kidnapped and, you know, okay, by the way, I'd just like to point out that the uh, twerpy towhead who has come to discover that he has these magical abilities, <laughs> uh, now a princess needs to be rescued. So I'm just going to throw that out there, that this was all happening the night before Star Wars premiered. Interesting. So you think George Lucas saw this movie? Yes. And then saw the script in Hollywood, as one does. As one does, yes. <laughs> and this inspired him. Yeah. yeah. Joseph Campbell. He, they're using, who's that guy? Huh. Oh Let's my look God. him up, yeah. Jesus Christ, what a motherload. And by yeah. the way, if you thought if you thought this film was ugly before, and you're right, it was, it is going to get even even uglier going forward. They're in love now, by the way. Oh, all yeah? of a sudden they're in love. Well they had and they I had a romantic dinner. They were friendly and everything, but there was no moment in which like like imagine if they went up on the Ferris wheel and the thing snapped and then like he saved her in a way she would you – know, like there's no excuse for her to be you know, like uh, just some backstory that connected them. All they need is a little spark, and we would believe that they love each other. You know what, though? Here's the thing. This, movie, this is how badly the film is written. The movie wants us to believe that that spark that you're referring to is the great time they had at the carnival. It's like because she yeah. was winning, except for the fact that she doesn't. She can't know that it was him cheating for her. 
So mm-hmm. he was using he was using his power so that she'd like you know win pinball and win the bear and all that, and that's them falling in love. Except that she doesn't know that it was him doing that. Right. That's but, right. So it doesn't so it doesn't really it doesn't really add up. But you know what? It's a TV movie, a failed pilot in 1977. <laughs> Nothing has to add up. Nothing has to mean anything. It just has to fill out time, and you have to get like you know I don't know Gold's Bond or whatever you know whoever it is to sponsor it. That's all. That's all it was for. It was to kill time on network television. He's a bit of a loser, though. I mean, he uses his power to do like circus tri- uh, party tricks, and then when he actually has an abduction, mm-hmm. he can't yeah. like move the van. Yeah, he just yeah. let her get kidnapped yeah. on his watch. And you, and of course, the ad that you the ad that you uh, posted for this a great TV ad said Eric uses his strange powers to guard an oil rich heiress from kidnapping. Uh, oh no, he doesn't. Nope. No, he didn't. Nope, that ad completely lied. Eric did not use his strange he powers to ball. protect her from kidnappers. You know, Superman, that, that action in comics where he throws a car, that actual right. comic strip, it's about Lois Lane was kidnapped, mm-hmm. and he she was in the car, and he got so angry because he's in love with Lois Lane that sure. he went and threw the car at a wall. This guy didn't even do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he has his powers, but... Uh, didn't didn't use them at all, and he's going to explain why he didn't use his powers. But the reason that he didn't ultimately reason that he didn't use his powers is the fact that we are only we have still like forty minutes to go on this fucking thing. Oh really? We have like a ways to go yet. <laughs> all right, we're in the home stretch then. Uh, by this yeah, point. we're over fifty one percent through of it, so you know we watched the majority of it so far. But I gotta check on the kids, make sure they did their homework, make sure they brush their teeth, and then get them to bed before it, uh, the eleven o'clock news. There must be a way. If only I had powers I could use to save the day, but I don't. <laughs> yeah, what we need, we need some kind of like convoluted plan that will involve lots of helicopters and trucks. That's what we're going to do. Yeah, right. Vic Mora will be in a helicopter in this wow. film later. Yep. Does it say U.S. Air Force on it? That would be a spoiler. <laughs> they went out of business. <laughs> now, this, figure this figure very figure interesting. Vic Moreau, right? He, he did this film called Dirty Mary Crazy Larry. Yeah. Peter Fonda, and what's your name? Yeah. And he insisted on having a $1 million life insurance policy before he would shoot any scenes involving the helicopter he was due to ride in. He was insistent, and he explained that he's always had a premonition I was going to die in a helicopter crash. Now, is that the truth, or is that the internet making up stuff? I'm not sure, but the million dollar policy is real. Um, I'm leaning towards internet making shit up. Yeah, I think that's mm-hmm. a coincidence. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Does he die at the end of the I've movie? I've always had a premonition. Yeah, okay. Explodes? In in which movie are we talking about? Dirty Larry, crazy the one from Pulp Fiction. Cra- yeah, I am on it. It's been I've seen it once a million Dirty years Mary, ago. Dirty Mary, crazy Larry. Yeah, that's the one. If you watch the Bruce Willis and they're watching a shitty movie, it's uh, that movie. Like she's watching TV and there's like in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Um, I can't believe I'm about to like argue argue about Pulp Fiction here. The movie they're watching is The Losers. Okay. All right. Yeah. uh, Which is no, I'm sorry, Born Losers. Losers. The Losers is the first Billy Jack film, whereas one of them is the first Billy Jack film, and and the other one is about a motorcycle gang that goes to Vietnam. And I'm forgetting which is which, but Might the one it. about the motorcycle gang that goes to Vietnam is the movie that Bruce Willis and Maria de Medeiros is watching in Pulp Fiction when Bruce Willis starts yelling at her about the right. fucking watch and making her cry. And fucking Tarantino's camera just is loving the fact that Willis is verbally abusing de Medeiros and the way that she's starting to cry and 
Tarantino just stays on it. I fucking hate that movie so much. You don't think that was Robert Avery and his uh, love of using French women? <laughs> it may well have been, but Tarantino signed off on it. Yeah, you're it's right his fingerprints right. all yeah, over it. Fingerprints all over. Uh, yeah, it's an yeah, not a fan of not a fan of Quentin Tarantino or Pulp Fiction. And you know, here's the thing about Tarantino: the tide is turning against him. Very much as people are finally beginning to realize what I've been saying all along, which is that he's a piece of shit that can go fuck himself. Like, oh, no, no, the floor is yours. <laughs> Something I've been saying since, you know, I was very proud Thank that we did Pulp you. I was very proud that we did Pulp Fiction at Bad Movie Night yeah. in 2008 well, as we, part of Blasphemy we, Month. I kind of pushed on you, leaned on you a bit, but we did a whole month of Robert Rodriguez playing Tarantino movies. That's right, we did. So we did God, I, I blocked Dawn. that out from Dust Till Dawn, uh, Full Tilt Boogie. Full Tilt Boogie it was a theatrically released, supposedly, full-length documentary, like a DVD extra, a mm-hmm. uh, 90-minute documentary on From Dust to Dawn. And... He was non-union. Is probably the only most interesting thing. And the actors are, you know, are actors. And Harvey Keitel didn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. But there's no interest, you know. And you get to watch this horror, you know. Yeah. So, but it was there. It was there, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, yeah, but much like this, it was filled 90 minutes of time. It killed time. We, we actually did that a live movie with documentary. We've done a couple documentaries together. I'm trying to remember what other documentaries we did a bad movie. Now, documentaries and comedies. We, outside I think we, of Bad Movie Night was Lil Roxy. Oh, God, that's right. Yes, um, for the Bad Movie Night revival, which did not go very well at all at the Roxy for SF Indie Fest, we did The Principal, which was the geocentrism documentary about, like, you know, maybe what if the Earth really is the center of the universe? Yeah, it was tough ripping off a documentary. Yeah, it it wasn't easy. It's like, but if we were going to do a documentary, I remember I wanted to do Bat Kid Begins. Oh, yeah. I wanted, I wanted to do Bat Kid Begins, and SF Indie Fest thing was like, oh, no, 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 we can't do that because we're friends with we're friends with the producers of that film, and if we made fun of it, they would never bring their movies to SF Indie Fest again. That makes sense. It was the same reason why when we were going to be like doing you know, narrative films, I wanted to do Jupiter Ascending, and they're like, nah, see, problem is Lana Wachowski lives in San Francisco, and if we made fun of her film, she would never support SF Indie Fest again. That, movie, it, that movie was pure camp. Yeah. 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 I, I but Indie Fest's yeah. big thing was, no, we can't do any movie where the producers might get angry at us uh, for making fun of it. Well, that's... Uh, so, yeah, that's that's I mean, why when Bad Movie Night ended, and we there were a few attempts to bring it back, it did not quite work, and we, we tried, but... Can I ask you, how would we riff uh, Bat Kid Begins, the documentary of a Make-A-Wish terminal? Uh, the, the kid, you know, kid survived, but... You're asking yeah. me how we would make fun of it? Yeah. Because we are San Franciscans, and it would be about this completely fucking ridiculous thing that our city did yeah. to <laughs> fulfill the wishes of this cute little white kid who wanted to be Batman and so much time and money was put into his, you know, playing out his Batman fantasies. Yeah. And that happened in our city. Yeah. Carl, do you know what we're talking about? No, but uh, I, no, I absolutely don't. But I do hear that stuff about, we can't make fun of because, you know, it might later reflect, we might regret it. But or the, pe- the people who made the movies this. might get mad at us. So it was a kid who was terminal, and they gave him a wish that he could pretend to be Batman, and the city supported it. Mm-hmm. The city completely supported it. Yeah. yeah. Bat Kid Begins. Look it up. It's like it's a thing that happened. Which, God help us, it actually happened. So it was, you know, it was, it was definitely uh, cute and, and embracing. They did like a big scavenger hunt where he would meet people dressed as the penguin, and they would go eventually go to Union Square or someplace. 
square. There's a big the, uh, stage thing, and the kid was very happy. Yeah. And the kid it's like a little white boy has a power fantasy. Let, let's let's <laughs> everybody drop everything so he can live out his power fantasy. That's not the worst San Francisco documentary. That's The Bridge. I think, in my opinion, I hate that movie. <sighs> the Bridge. I'm not. I should be familiar with that one, but I'm not. What is The Bridge? They put a camera on the Golden Gate Bridge. Okay. And they shot a suicide. They captured. No way. They captured a suicide. They talk about the history, you know, San Francisco and the suicide bridge, and they talk to families and people, and then I've never they heard actually of this. had wow. like I don't know why they didn't stop them or why I watched this documentary. <laughs> yeah. There's a I lot of whys yeah. here. Yeah, <laughs> I, I get it, but it was. And they talked to the family, I think, of, of that, but it was just like it just left me really cold. Yeah. 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 Ugh. By the way, this is like five minutes of him just like sort of like <laughs> running back and forth, you know, in the, the streets of, of of Los Angeles at night. Our listeners are all shout also out to Catalina Street. Catalina Street, Los Angeles. Uh, they, the, our listeners are also watching this movie in real time with us. Wait, we're in San Francisco now. Sorry, no, no that was my bad. We're, this is Los Angeles. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, we're by the U United Travel Bureau. Across the street United from Gold, across the street from the Golden Apple United. on Catalina. <laughs> Oh, the uh, comic book shop there? Uh, Golden Golden Apple uh, a Cafe. Oh, Cafe. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Although I've been looking through old through old uh, newspapers from the 80s on newspapers.com, and I found some like ads for the Video Cafe, the old Video Cafe at oh, 21st really? and Geary, yeah. listed under the adult theaters. Really? Yeah, which surprised me. I didn't realize it was ever like a porno theater or a porno video right store. Right down in the, that neighborhood. How yeah, funny. apparently so. I guess it was before it became the Big Heart Cafe. I guess it was when it became the Big Heart Cafe was when it like stopped being you know porn specific. So that space was uh, dedicated. This place is in the uh, Central Richmond District, and it, uh, it's a notoriously bad twenty-four hour diner that showed videos. It's called Video Cafe, but beforehand it was a porn theater. Apparently I guess. so. Yeah, a shop. Yeah. They must have had all that space from shelves, and they said, "Well, turn it." They kept the videos. You weren't allowed to watch the entire movie there. You had to leave, mm -hmm. and they were horrible. We went there once and. I went there once. This guy threw up on a table. Plausible. Uh, they yeah. cleaned up the table. Uh, we asked to move, and they said, "Would you like this table?" Oh no! So there was a guy also. Oh, by the way, it's a, there's a, another. It's that guy. Another That's that guy Glenn. on the screen there. Yes, definitely is. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm gonna let's focus on the movie. I, my, I, I'm, oh no no no! I'm, I'm, I'm happy to continue to <laughs> reminisce about about Big the Heart, video the video cafe. Yeah. So the Big Heart Cafe was they had like a little alley where you can rent movies, and that was the video cafe, mm -hmm. and they would show it on their screens, but they didn't encourage you to stay there even 24 hours with coffee or what have you, which is fair enough, but. Someone asked for, like, a, can I get a banana in my milkshake? And they threw a whole banana in their <laughs> milkshake and gave it to him. Yeah, this guy threw up. This guy was arguing with the movie The Negotiator. And he asked to move, and they said, Lee like Samuel L. Jackson and yeah. Kevin. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was involved. Not Kevin Paul. Kevin, whatever the guy, whatever the guy's name is. Kevin Spacey. Thank you. I yeah. blank out my Kevins. Uh, Paul uh, Neely, one of them. Neelan. Yeah, well, that guy's persona non grata. Uh, but he, he, he was, so we asked to move, and they're like, "Would you like this table?" He goes, "No, they threw up on that <laughs> table. We were there." Yeah, that place, and then it became it closed. They this guy put a waterfall and like crystal glass, and it had a mm -hmm. giant prawn, uh, sure. like oversized prawn to meet. <laughs> As you do, yeah. <laughs> so Gate Lodge completely redid the space. Probably found all this porn in there, and then uh, closed four weeks later with a sign on the door saying. San Francisco, the fact that we have to pay our, our workers full, you know, $15 or what have you, we close, we can't afford it. We, mm -hmm. uh, Classic. Reason. And now it's reopened to a, a really nice place. But, you know, they still have the, the TVs in there, which is nice. Thanks, you back.
Meanwhile, you know what we've missed in the film? Nothing. We have missed nothing well, of remote did. importance. No, we did. Well, nobody knows uh, that there's this big ransom that they want, and they've made arrangements, and there's big rules uh, about the helicopter landing, and no cars are to be around there, and they saw a car, and we had some tense moments. And you know what all these aerial you know what all these aerial shots are making me think of actually is like the last half hour of Southland Tales. Oh yeah, they're... I actually I actually broke down. I got the I got the <laughs> Arrow Blu-ray that came out recently. Oh, you did? Yeah, with both the theatrical and the cons cut of oh, really? Southland Tales. Uh-huh. Oh wow, the notorious cut. Mm-hmm. The, like two and a half hour. Like it's not that much longer than the theatrical cut. It's like maybe twenty minutes, half an hour longer. Yeah. But it really makes you appreciate the theatrical cut because the cons cut does not give a shit if you're following the story or not. It really makes you appreciate how the the opening of the theatrical cut, how it actually like tries to like explain the backstory yeah, and like sure. set up who the characters are and why it matters that the rock you know stumbled out of the desert and all that stuff. Oh, very cool. Yeah, we, we, uh, Carl, the director of Donnie Darko did a film called. Uh, Southland Tales, his follow-up. Yeah, when we saw Darnie Darko, you told me about it. I got it, and uh, I didn't watch the whole thing. <laughs> Very few have. I'm sorry. Was it grim uh, Saturday Night Live players that turned you off? I was about to say, yeah. Was it was it seeing John Lovitz like walking endlessly through hedges while waves of mutilation plays? Yeah. It's like yeah, it's like ten I minutes know. of Lovitz with waves of mutilation walking through backyards and stuff. <laughs> oh, it's John Lovitz. I love that he said he. Oh, he's doing. He's serious. Oh, it's serious. God, I love her. Oh, she's being serious. Yeah. Oh, uh, these are oh, it's it's oh, it's guy. All... It's it's Booger from Revenge of the Nerds. Oh and what, What's his name from uh, Moonlighting? Who's the same guy? It's like oh, and it's Wallace Shawn. And well, my favorite is when you go, oh my God, it's the dad from Danny Darko. Yeah, they got Holmes yeah. Osborne's in it. I know him from Danny Darko. <laughs> uh, this box here has. Oh, he's using crapper. his power. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There it is, and he is going to somehow. There, there we go. <laughs> Oh, give me a break! That, and that's that's the pretty much the most he uses his power is he makes the makes the cardboard box go up and stick to the bottom of the van. So how did they do it? Did they film it and reversed it? Like they had to, they wait for it to drop from the van? A magician well, never a reveals magnet. their tricks. There's a magnet in the box. He made that clear in the plot, you know. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry, made that clear in the what? Enough. In the yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, but to shoot it, they must have taped something underneath the van, started the camera, <clears throat> waited for the tape to fall, uh, and then reversed it or something. Ah, more beige on brown on brown on oh, beige. Oh, this is pretty drab. Oh, God. Oh, we haven't even gotten to the drabbest yet. <laughs> there is so much more drabbiness coming up here. There was a loss of life in uh, California, I guess, during the 70s or something. Now, Mike, they want the million dollars in gold bullion. Okay, wow. so they're like so they're the cyclones. Up a okay. vault that's filled with that's another that guy, right? They're they're opening up a vault that's filled with hundreds of millions of dollars of gold bars, mm-hmm. and they're just taking out one million. How can they tell? What they feel it? I mean, do they say this one's worth fifty thousand? I like to point uh, out this is this is post Goldfinger pre Battlefield Earth. Just want to give the timing of this year, <laughs> as far as villains whose ultimate plan is to steal gold bars. Was that the villain in the, in the original uh, Battlestar Galactica? He was gold hungry. John Colicos as Baltar. Yeah. I don't believe so. No, I mean I'm sure if you give him gold, he wouldn't have turned it down. Yeah, he turned but... it out. Oh God, that's what this movie needs. John Colicos. Oh, he, <laughs> he makes everything better. He was ma- he was shooting a different pilot yeah. at the Instead, time. Instead, we get these guys. Oh, oh Jesus Christ! Not Fuck. almost 15 kilograms. 
It says Oro on it. I guess it's legit. Sure. Wow. 15 bars is a million dollars, they said. So how much is that per bar? Hey, guys. Let me go. My... I can't figure Check it. Check my calculator app. I think they're going to establish later in the <laughs> plot <laughs> that it's uh, that it's seventy million. Yep. So what they do, Mike, and it's the only thing I like about this script is them taking the million dollars for a ransom is a ruse. Yep. They just wanted to get the vault open so that they, they could empty it of all the gold. It's a herring, I tell you, a red herring. It's the only creative thing about this film. Mm-hmm. Well, well, that would have been the entertainment week after week twists like this fucking tie million. how many zeros in million i can't do you know there's a billion i think doesn't the, the price of gold fluctuates so it's, it's maybe a million he's 15 bars today hey persis combata's in this movie i didn't know right that. the day of this yeah. robbery this kidnapping so are we done stacking the gold nope let's no, some stacking all the gold more gold stacking please <laughs> oh, there we go more gold stacking I studied with Stella. I had nothing left in carrying these heavy boxes. The director's like, I was the script coordinator on Liza with a Z. On the on the on the Emmy winning Emmy winning Liza with a Z, and now I'm doing this. Oh my gosh! How many gold bars equals a million? Well, the prop uh, crew made fifteen of them, so fifteen. Sure. Why not? <sighs> More stacking. Yep. Yep. It's almost exciting, almost as exciting as watching someone play Tetris. <laughs> almost. A second. <laughs> oh, oh, they're they're doing Jenga. Is actually all right. Jenga, Jenga, Jenga. None of them are like. Let's take a couple more. Just a million. They won't notice. Yeah, it. just put a few in our in our beige jumpsuits here. Why? Hey, Princess Kambata's in this film. I didn't know that. Why is she in the helicopter again? She's escaping something. Ah, uh, sure. Oh, yeah. No, she's kidnapped. No, she's That's right. She's kidnapped. kidnapped. You see, oh, I told she's been you kidnapped. nobody at home knew because the guy in the studio didn't. She was kidnapped, and now she's going to be exchanged, they believe, for a ransom of $1 million, 15 gold bars. I just did the math. It's about 60 grand per bar, and it's weird. My friend and that's in 1977 dollars. So more than that. And what oil company is the Oh, good. More stacking. I know. Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> Dun, 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 dun. It'll be safe in here. See, because you see, if we didn't see this happening, we would be confused. You know, Ooh. none of the rest of the film would make sense if we had not seen the gold bars stacked and now seen them getting <laughs> li getting lifted up. And so many questions, like origin movies. Mm -hmm. the, the prequel will be them stacking it. <laughs> and again, right. this was entertainment. This is what passed for entertainment back in the seventies. Look at that. That's too heavy. You guys got to get off or take the gold off. Wow, they can carry up the gold in themselves. It's I think hard to believe a chopper could do that. A chopper can't carry a, 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 a platform right. of gold. Unless it's a chopper with the power. You know, every time I look at the van, I'm like, this does not belong in this film because it's a pleasing color coordination. It's a blue yeah. van with, like, the orange thing on the side. It's like, oh, look, complimentary colors. That's nice for the eyes. This should not be in this film. This is in the wrong film. Let's drive. What's in <sighs> just electrical stuff, like it says on the van. <laughs> the man with the power. Do, 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 do. Oh, good, he's fine. Thank goodness. I've been lifting gold bars up. Count those bars. Count those bars. Count those <laughs> bars. 
One I'll gold bar. I'll try my joke again. So each one of those bars is worth over $60,000. And it's funny because my friend sold his bar for so much more than that. <laughs> it was his, uh, I acknowledge your joke, Carl. Yeah, it I'm was, ignoring it, your it, joke, it, Carl. It has got a great location. Uh, <laughs> you know, he has great phone reception. Does it have reception. good curb appeal? These bars have great curb appeal. He has great phone reception in that van. It's got like five, 15 bars. Bingo! Good one, Mike. Oh. Uh, well, now I feel bad that I pissed on your joke. No, no. Your joke was gold. <laughs> oh, it's gold? All right, gold. Hey, it's that guy. Hey, it's uh, that guy. Hey, it's that guy. And we'll be back. What? I can't hear you. My finger's in my ear. What? <laughs> Cause no harm, Al. Fog City. That's smog, huh? To live and die in L.A. Ah, here uh, we go. Oh, after that nice, after that nice sunrise. Yeah. Now here, look at this. Hollywood advice. Look at all this twisted metal. Yeah, this is the stuff. <laughs> this is why you tune in to TV at night to see this. Oh God, this is so ugly. I love it. You want to Half of that car? was true. Half of that was false. I'm way into metal. Oh no, he's trapped. Wait a minute. So they're gonna crush him with the gold? Yeah, he's going to be, he has been put into, now why would they put the gold in there? I'm really yeah. not sure, but, I mean, because they got 70 million, they don't care about one, I'm not sure, but, yeah, he's going to be crushed, and he'll finally use his powers for, but I, the, I shouldn't say finally, but he rarely uses them. They, there's 15 gold bars in this thing, they're going to pick it up? Why would they leave the gold with him? That was the but, whole point. Isn't that stupid? I don't, I don't get it. They kidnapped her for gold bars. And you know, think just off just off screen right now at the same wrecking yard, you know, good Clark Kent is fighting evil Superman, but we don't get to watch that. <laughs> nope. No, that's a that's a junkyard scene. Boy, that yeah, that's super that's Superman three. It's not a great film, but it's a fascinating film because there is some scare there's some traumatizing shit in that movie. I mean, again, when good Clark, you know, gets crushed in the thing, it's like, boy, that 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 stuck with me as a ten year old. That was that was tricky to watch. Yeah. Then when the, then the with the with evil Richard woman, Pryor, right? that's one with Richard Pryor. Yeah. Then when the woman that you're not supposed to like because she's not conventionally attractive, gets like trapped in the computer and it, like turns her into a cyborg. Oh man. Oh, that was like it was like what's gonna happen to Superman? And like there's all these like disasters as you say. Mm -hmm. You have a power. Suddenly there's all these things are falling from the sky all of a sudden. And this is like a protracted scene where he kind of clutchly walks around and that kind of set the scene for the rest of the movie. Mm -hmm. Plus he eats dog food. True, there's that. There's a little Mad Max moment there. Crush it. Crush it, crush it. Oh, shit, my phone's in the van. <laughs> my charger! <laughs> now, this is another example of what Sherilyn was talking about, like production value from things in the real world that exist. Mm -hmm. You get to see a car squished up. Yeah, that's, that, that's what passed for entertainment in 1977. Like before, before Star Wars came out, we thought this was entertainment. This we is thought twer twerpy, twerpy guy trying to hide in a in an auto wrecking yard. Oh my God! He closed the door. He is the man with the power. Wow. That's, he hey Herbie! Hi! Yay! Yeah, Finally, yeah, a little Herbie. Herbie cameo here. Hi Herbie. You use your powers to steal my car, you dick. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm Why, gonna crush it. Why didn't we try to back. watch a Herbie movie once and we couldn't? <laughs> 
Which movie did you watch? Did it take place in San no, Francisco? I, th- I, I think I suggested one for our show. And oh. There are on YouTube or something. The, I, I'm be sure they one. have that content warning. If you go to Disney Plus and watch a Herbie movie, they probably said, warning the material uh, here. Yeah, outdated cultural yeah. views. Yeah. The, actually, the most recent movie I found with that warning was Mr. Magoo from 1997. Which, I believe it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that, that one's really uh, – Stephen Tabowski uh, serves Indian food, so he's dressed up as Aladdin with brown face. <sighs> uh, he's the delivery guy. Because uh, he's he's spying, he's pretending to be the sure, guy. Sure, sure. So he's from Aladdin, Indian food. That is, and the persistence of brown face lasting much, 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 much longer than it should have is something I actually go into a lot of detail about in presenting Persis Kambada. Right. Yeah. Fact that, like, as recently as, or as late, I should say, as uh, the David Lean film A Passage to India in 1984. They cast an actual Indian man to play an Indian man, so that's good, except that David Lean didn't feel that this particular Indian man's skin was dark enough to really look like an Indian, so he had him wear additional brown face to make him look more like what David Lean thought a proper Indian man should look like. And of course, in that same film, Alec Guinness was also playing an Indian man. The very white Alec Guinness was playing an Indian man in brown face, and this was in 1984. Oh, yeah. It's like, this shit was still, I mean, okay, it's one thing in Lawrence of Arabia in 1962. It's like, you can say, well, we didn't know better. We fucking well knew better by 1984. What do you think about uh, Sir Ben Ben Kingsley? Uh, In 82, you go, okay, we'll give him a pass, right? He's playing Mm -hmm. Gandhi. But then he plays the love guru, and he just kind of pisses on that. Yeah, yeah. The love guru and the the Myers thing. They, yeah. should, they should make an Indian movie called The Love Cowboy. <laughs> it's this guy who plays an American who's a love cowboy. That I would like to see. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's racist to use the term uh, guru anyway. There's a lot that's not good about it. Yeah. yeah. So but, uh, that's that, but that's how much of a fun read presenting Persis Kambada is because it is, among other things, an examination of the way India and Indian people were regarded in English language, especially well, not just not just American, English, you know, British as well. Media throughout the seventies and eighties, and uh, no, it's not good. It's not good. It's like the one t- the the one step forward, which was also two steps back, was Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, uh-huh. in which all of the all of the major Indian characters were actually played by Indian people. It's like that was a, that was very much a step forward. The only exception was some of the stunt people. Some of the stuntmen were clearly like white guys in brown face, wow. but the actual speaking characters were actually played by Indian and South Asian actors. Of course, the two steps back is that they're played, they're, they're portrayed as savages, you know, who you know, enslave children and eat children, <laughs> monkey brains and all that. So oh yeah, like, those are the big two right there. Yeah. yeah for starters, they, they enslave children and eat monkey brains, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh huh. That's that. That took a while. And also, it was weird that that the kid that Indiana Jones hung out with. I had no idea. What Short time round. Was. Yeah. What was up with that? Yeah. Yeah. Okie dokie. Yeah. No time for love, Doctor Jones. God help me. I feel like I, I, when I say that, I feel like I'm more quoting clerks than I'm quoting. Uh, oh right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, quoting yeah. Jones at the Temple of Doom. And you know what? That's six of one, half a dozen of the other. It's like both of them make me feel bad about myself. Did you watch? Have you seen Space Jam: A New Legacy? I have legacy? not. I have not. Yeah, I. 
I, you know, we did, we did, you know, speaking of the, the Indie Fest things, I think like one of the last things we did was Space Jam. Oh, wow. Yeah, we did Space Jam, the original Space Jam as part of SF Indie Fest at the Roxy and it would have been 2017, something yeah. like that. And boy, what a not good movie that is. Oh, it falls up short. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. does not hold up. That and there rabbit, is... that rabbit bugs me. I'm glad you have all these in the chamber and you're getting getting to pull the trigger on them, Carl. (laughs) Oh, he's using his power. Okay, so the white guy he uses the man with the power uses his power to emasculate the white guy, (laughs) and the black guy, yeah, straight up fucking kills him. Bam! The bong on the head, and he falls. Eddie's dead. Okay, he just needed to get past him. He didn't have to kill him. Did not have to. Yeah. Oh no, he maybe he's dead from that. Maybe, but okay. This, but let's again look at this wonderful. Fire. Look at how ugly this is. This looks like Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom. Save me, Indy. The Atari game. Okay, so now we're going to now we're going to maybe we're going to have an exciting uh, cart chase like an Indian. No, 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 we're not. Well, speaking of exciting, I think we're almost done, right? Yes, we yeah, are. We are in the uh, the home stretch here. X six X three hundred. And now, of course, I've, t- I've talked before about the uh, you know the weird parallels here, where the twerpy towhead discovers that he has powers because of cosmic forces, <clears throat> forces, and now he has to uh, now he has to rescue a princess. <laughs> and the shame of it is the princess that the that the twerpy towhead twerpy towhead had to rescue the next day was a badass, and she was able to rescue herself as much. Not going to be the case with this princess. Oh yeah, that's yeah. This, true. this princess, unfortunately, is a scared ninny. And yeah, no, I went there. I used the word ninny. I busted out that particular <laughs> in bomb. She is a scared ninny. So you think I should have now? Let... This part, as we head to the home stretch, I mean, he is finally seriously using his powers. So huh. we'll he, he gets his ass handed to him right away, yeah, but he's still using his powers. My head hurts like really bad. It's like you hit me in the head with a crowbar. <laughs> So Vic Morrow just told him the die is cast and then walked away. Sure. So I'm not going to tell you how the die landed, but it's cast. That's all you need to know. Every <laughs> every week he would use his power, and every week they would cut to his eyeball. Uh-huh. And that yeah. would have, so if he did 30 special, 30 superhero feats in one hour, it's 30 shots of his eyes. Mm-hmm. And that was... How do you think they did that dilation show? Heroin. Charlotte. <laughs> yeah, it's, no, they, they straight up did the what would soon become the Requiem for a Dream effect. And every time we see that eye dilation yeah. shot, it's yeah. because they're shooting him up. Yeah, he's shooting up. He's eating. Uh, he's grinding on diet pills. Exactly. No, but I mean, do you think that they had a shot of an eye and then they turned on a spotlight? And I mean, how do they really make it dilate? Oh, so you don't want the comedy heroin answer, but you want the actual real world. Answer. <laughs> I'm just curious. Yeah. So I'll take both. Stock footage. In whatever. You know, I you know, I'm sure that was stock, stock footage. footage. Like. Uh-huh. I'm sure that there was a house where it's like, oh, you need a shot of a green eye dilating? <laughs> there you go. Five bucks. They Done. Took, and that's, those go. are five nineteen seventy seven 1977 so it's like a million dollars now. So they did not skimp. <laughs> it's a bomb. It was, it was the peep show. They went to the peep show, and the thing opened, and he went, oh. What? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> whoa. You know, you, we're not hearing it because the volume is turned down, but every time the eye dilates, you hear a boong sound because of yeah, That's right. Oh, I'll have to do it. I so was thinking about Bionic Man. Yeah, um, it sounds like it. Well, it doesn't sound like it, but it's the kind of right that it's the kind of like every single time you see it, uh, you hear that sound. Like mm-hmm. it lets you know. It's like he's running in slow motion for some reason, but you know he's actually running in fast slow motion because the sound. 
So is it like the Hulk? Does the Hulk have a sound effect in the 70s? That is a fine question. Yeah. I imagine he must have. There's probably like there's probably like always growling. Growler. That's probably yeah, whatever whatever who's on screen, whether his mouth is moving or not, he's probably yeah, always going. <laughs> Except in season twelve, he's like Hulk Smasher. Oh. Like by the time they get to the trial of Thor, it's like I yeah. don't even care anymore. By the way, I am old enough to remember how exciting it was when the Bigfoot episodes of the Six Million Dollar Man came on in reruns. Oh, the Bigfoot, yeah. the Bigfoot episodes, yeah, yeah. That was always a cause for a cause for happiness. You remember Bionic Ever After when they got married? Oh, I I'm sure I saw it at it's the on time. It's on TV. It's on TV now. Of I, course it is. I started watching it. I had to stop. Just you know. By the way, just because the screen is dark, it's not over. It's oh, just no, because. I can't. <laughs> It's just because the the, the the movie has stopped caring if we can see what's going on or not. Because the movie doesn't care anymore either. It was directed by Samuel. Well, Beckett. the movie cares. No, that's not fair. The movie cares. As a matter of fact, because it's dark, he he won't be able to have his powers because they're so photons. Oh, that's right. right? Because that's photons. Oh my God, the film is actually you know it's actually paying off something it set up earlier. This is movie. I I take back what I said. This movie is great. I wish it had gone to series. Yeah, it makes sense now. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. little firefly. Wasn't making any sense at all, and now it makes sense. <laughs> Come. <laughs> uh, all right, that's it. I'm censored. Uh, here comes the center board. Standards in. Uh, Stop saying come. No kill. Start doing I. it. So it isn't. It doesn't seem. I mean, as if this movie is grounded and makes sense. It doesn't seem right that a tiny little firefly would have enough. <laughs> What photons yeah. to uh, enable his powers, but it did. Well, that's what Animal Man does. The Animal Man gets his power from any neighboring animal, so he'd sure. be like, "Uh, uh everybody knows that about Animal Man." Obviously. Yeah, <laughs> but if he's like in a cave or whatever, he'd be like, "Well, there's some earthworms, maybe, or you know, this place has bed bugs or something. I could find oh, something." Oh, shooting up! There we go. Do you mean? Oh, I didn't. Yeah, the, the, the photons. The photons released by bioluminescence are enough for. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Go yeah, with okay, it. Okay, go with it. Sure. Yeah. Oh, he's saving the princess. Who has Gosh. been scared, by the way. She has said many times how scared she is. Uh, she is frightened. Yeah, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. She, <laughs> Eric, Eric. You know, this is not, she's not grabbing a blaster and saying, well, somebody has to save our skins. Nope. nope. She is just scared. And you know, the hell of it is, this, this happened to Persis a lot, you know, having to be rescued. And even worse, in the full cut of Warrior of the Lost World, you don't really see it in the MST version, but in the full cut... She starts out being a badass. She starts out basically being the one like leading the rescue operation. Then she gets like scared by like then like zombies show up because you know it's 1980s in Italy, so they threw some zombies <laughs> into it. And then after that, she's scared. Yeah. Then after that, she stops being strong. She's like, "Oh, zombies! I'm scared now," <clears throat> because of course she's not she's not the she's not the title warrior of the lost world. Oh, so. she's not. She you think she should be, but yeah. no. No, she is not the warrior of the lost world in the film The Warrior of the Lost World. Well, you know, that movie cries out movie poster. Like, I don't even need to see the movie, but <laughs> she's, she's predominantly in the movie poster. She's not in the movie poster at all, actually. What? You are, you are, you might be thinking of Megaforce. Well, Megaforce she is, pre- is, she, is predo- sure. she is prominent in the poster for Megaforce. The poster for Warrior of the Lost World, which was, which ran in variety before the film was shot, of course, right. is an illustration of the guy on his motorcycle as like the bad guys are shooting oh. at him. Yeah, it's an action shot. She did not appear in the advertising for Warrior of the Lost World until it until it ran in movie theaters in northern in in uh, like New York and thereabouts. 
They put her in those ads, but otherwise she was not used in the advertising. But what is great about Ori the Lost World, and again, you don't get this in the MST3K version, she gets to swear. Her first lines in Warrior of the Lost World, in the original version, not MST3K version, she comes up to the warrior and says, listen, you dumb motherfucker. Oh, nice. Yeah, she gets to swear, and then she grabs, she has a gun, she like basically shoves it into the guy's crotch and says, help me rescue my father or I'll blow your balls off. Oh. Oh, it's like, it's so, and she has this big grin on her face. It's like now the most, it's the most fun she's it. had on screen since the carnival scene in this film. Basically, oh, those two, those two those, things, those, Carnival blowing a guy's balls off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We, uh, we wanted to do Warriors of the Lost World with you until we discovered it was a Mystery Science Theater production. Yeah, which is how most of us saw it originally, yeah. And it's not a good film, but it's not the, one of the worst films ever made either. And it gives a chance for her to be in the, another audience to see her. You yeah, know, and like, she gets to shoot a lot of people. She gets yeah. to hold a machine gun, and she actually has, for as often as she gets killed in movies, she actually you know, racks up a pretty decent body count in not on this film but in Nighthawks and First Strike yeah, actually First Strike she shoots a lot of people and she gets to kill a lot of people in uh, Warrior of the Lost World but this in First Strike it's video only so it looks terrible right it does not look great yeah but it was right. never it was shot on video in the television studio oh you know it's very much like what the asylum would do later on they had limited sets so they used lots of like green and red gels to like you know sort of provide some degree of visual interest Oh, those are the snakes of the tr- uh, on the train production crew. Yes, exactly. You know, we were talking about movie posters. She's, you mentioned in both your Star Trek, uh, the motion picture books, she's iconic for the, uh, they keep reusing that image. Mm-hmm. So it's, she's a shorthand because of the movie poster. She absolutely is. Whenever you have anything that's like a montage of like the various Star Trek films. Yeah. Yeah, she is, you know, her bald head in that film is immediately identifiable for better or for worse. Ultimately for worse, and it really did not do her career any favors, but... Yeah. Uh, that's and I mean, that's the cover. That's the picture of her that's on the cover of my book. I had no input into the cover. Well, you have to because that's how I know about her. To be mm-hmm. honest with you, it wasn't like I saw first strike, but yeah. I probably have. You know, like she, she was pop culturally. I would have. I would have preferred it would have been the picture of her as Miss India in 1965. Yeah, that's true, but that's not what she's remembered for. She yeah. is remembered for being bald in Star Trek: The Motion Picture and Star Trek: The Motion Picture is in the title of the book. You're, it's like it's right there in the title. So. I, I, I mentioned this in the upcoming episode when we talk about uh, the, the other movie, but she, uh, y- you go into detail about her Star Trek The Motion Picture experience mm-hmm. and then go year by year for her rest of her career. And to be honest, I got a kick out of reading about Hunter, the TV series. You know, It's always nice to see that. But uh, yeah, she went through a lot on, on the Star Trek. And yeah. then, you know, yeah. just she, the they shaved her head, which she consented to, but it had to be shaved twice a day during filming. And she would get pimples, so they brought in a dermatologist who would inject a syringe into her scalp because of the pimples. Oh, my God. That was happening on a regular basis. And when she first appears as the robot, she didn't want to do nudity, but Gene Roddenberry insisted on nudity. So that was a whole thing. And so she was stand- She had to wear- she wore a body stocking, but she was standing not even as much clothes as this guy is wearing. She was wearing even less clothes than that while standing naked in dry ice. Yeah. So she was inhaling poisonous vapors, and she got tonsillitis, and it was just, it was bad. And she got blinded during the big finale, the big brightly lit finale. She was told all along, you're a robot, don't blink. She was not allowed to blink while that light on her throat was burning her. So the light on the throat was burning her. She was not allowed to blink. And then so when the bright light at the end during the climax was shining in her eyes, she got snow blindness. Like her retinas were burned. So she was like blind for two days and had to like wear eye patch for a few months and got splitting headaches. 
but you know it was all worth it because it destroyed her career so you know oh yeah well you know who hits for the pitch and uh but this film she had like a, the catering was good yeah if nothing else and you know she got to wear that you know that, that kicky pantsuit and uh yeah there's no no other Souza. So definitely uh, do, uh, look forward to our episode coming up uh, with Charlene once we talk more about versus right. Kavada. And, uh, well, we're, we did it. Uh, yeah, Charlene, we did it. What did you think of this movie? Uh, you know, it's not good. It's barely even a movie, but Persis gets to have fun in it. Persis gets to be visibly enjoying herself in it, and that's a rare and wonderful thing. So thumbs up just for that, just for getting to see Persis not being tortured and having a good time. <laughs> And we got so we ultimately got so little of her on film. Yes. she should have got a lot more work than she did, but just for various reasons, which you can find out about by reading my book, Presenting Persis Kambata. <laughs> <laughs> Plug. <laughs> so this is not great, but she gets again. We get to see her genuinely enjoying herself on screen, and you know it's a treasure just for that. Well, she uh, she also had a second career. She wrote a book on on uh, she returned to her Indian modeling and, and yep, comp- in, beauty competition. In 1994, she returned to Bombay for various reasons, and she wrote a book called Pride of India, which was public about the whole Miss India contest. She interviewed all the Miss Indias she could track down, gave the whole history of the contest and why it was so important, and how it related to Indi- to India getting uh, becoming independent from Britain in 1947. You know, so that's a whole thing. Yeah. And yeah, she had a triumph with the publication of Pride of India in 1997, and then she passed away in 1998 at the age of 51. Wow, well, that's, that's very uh, early. Yeah, but she was she was a chain smoker, and you know, heart disease was an issue, and yeah, but she had she had a tough life, but she made the most of it, and you know what? She failed a lot, but she never stopped trying, and she is so she's she's my hero for that reason. Every time she failed, she picked herself back up and just kept on going. And I genuinely, I am inspired by that. Well, it's a great, it's a really good book. And it's, uh, it's yeah, it's a career. Like, she was good in this, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and she, she was in some really strange films. So. Yeah, and she could have been, been a great actress if she'd been given a chance. And she was not given a chance. Yeah. If she'd gotten more work, she could have really developed her craft, but no one would give her the work because, A, she was the bald chick in the slow, boring Star Trek movie that nobody liked, and B, she would not take her clothes off on camera. And if you were an exotic, she was called exotic, she hated that word, but she was called exotic all the time. But if you were an exotic woman in Hollywood in the 1980s and you didn't take off your clothes, Hollywood had no fucking use for her, for you. She was called difficult. You know, she was branded as difficult because she wouldn't take off her clothes. And because she wouldn't do Charlie's Angels. She was offered Charlie's Angels. She turned it down and called it a dying show. Wow. And the Charlie's Angels producers smeared her for that. And that that really dealt the death blow to her career. What, what did you see after Octopussy? Uh, so I don't know if she was ever actually... Cons- yeah, she was considered. Well, I don't know if she was ever ever approached. But the producers decided, ah, fuck it. Get Maude Adams. <laughs> get, get, get the blonde lady, yeah, the, the chestnut bro- blonde lady from um, Man with the Golden Gun. And that'll be fine. Uh, yeah, so uh, and uh, I should mention like it wasn't that's in America, but when she went to the uh, Indian film uh, business, they they had other issues with her. Yeah, well, she did three Hindi films in the nineteen sixties, and she did not care for the for the Indian film industry because it was just all escapism. It was just all fluffy escapism where she had to keep dancing. You know, we all know this about Indian films. It was true in the 60s. It's true now. There's always musical numbers. And she hated the fact that she had to do the twist. They kept asking her to do the twist in all of her movies. And the musical numbers did not actually pay off at all. 
So she had to do these you know, films which had ridiculous plots that didn't go anywhere and musical numbers that didn't add to it. And she could have worked a lot more, but she wanted to do something interesting with her career. And she thought she would be able to do that in the Western world. And she was wrong, but she went for it. And again, that's, you know, that's why I love her and that's why I admire her and she's my hero. And you can read all about it in my book, Presenting Persis Combined. Oh, absolutely, because I have something, a question, uh, basically, you can see it in the book, but uh, she, she, because she was also known as a, a beauty contest winner, uh, it was Miss India, which was controversial. <clears throat> uh, yeah, the Miss India contest in 19, she won in 1965. She was the third woman to be crowned Miss India. And the first one was actually like in 48, and it didn't start up again until the 60s. Yeah. And uh, it was not considered... You know, proper families did not have beauty queens. Proper families did not let their daughters, you know, take part in beauty contests, let alone be models. And thankfully, her mother, Drew, her mother is, the, is like the true hero of the book because her mother encouraged her, even though her mother kind of knew that she wouldn't that she wouldn't make it, but she encouraged her to try. Yeah, and she always returned to her mom during mm -hmm. Christmas. Yeah, she, yeah. And, yeah. she was very close with her mother, and her mother was very supportive of her career aspirations. And, yeah. God bless you, Drew Kambata. All all mothers should be like you were. I do I do appreciate that she wrote a book like she returned to her roots and brought up because it was so controversial and that it was mm -hmm. so sporadic at that point and now it's it's part of it. Uh, yeah, so you check it out and you also do talk about she does act when she returns. Yeah, yeah, she did some. Yeah, she not as much as she would have liked. Her her last appearance on camera in a narrative film in any language was actually in the premiere episode, the pilot episode of Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. Oh, there you go. In 1991, that was the last time she appeared on film in a, narr in a narrative context. And the great thing is she's like the head of the United Nations. And in her scene, she's basically telling Lex Luthor to go fuck himself. She's saying, you know, we, yeah, we, you know, Mr. Luther has said such and such, and we disagree with him. He is wrong. You know, we, 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 we renounce Lex Luthor, basically. And you get to see Lex Luthor going crazy and, like, you know, having a fit of rage and, like, destroying his office. He's like, how dare she say that? So her last <laughs> vow in cameras was telling, was pissing off Lex Luthor. Oh, yeah. All right. Well. And that's a great, that's a great way to go. If you got to go out, Go out telling Lex Luthor to go fuck yourself. Right, well, we gotta, I'm going to check that out. I'm sure that's yeah. on cable. So I'm sure it's on my HBO Max. I'm very, sure it yeah. is somewhere. Yeah. Well, very cool. So, Charlotte, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, thank you for uh, having me. You know, one of, the, yeah. one of the movies you did was Phoenix the Warrior, and it's on YouTube. So, if we don't do the other film, which uh, I would love to get you back to, to, we could go ahead and keep going. We could do both. <clears throat> I would love that. You know, yeah. I mean, if y'all want to do First Strike, I can upload yeah, that. Yeah, First Strike be, would be great. I'd be happy to continue to go through her filmography. The, the tricky part is they don't all have subtitles, so some of them we may actually have, have to have the sound on. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm down for it. Let's do Michael that. Michael, right. go for that. <laughs> well, the, the nuance of First Strike might be the exception, Carl. And uh, we, could, okay. we, could, we could allow the, that sound. But, yeah. But we'll have, we'll have plenty to talk about. But, yeah, I'd be happy to continue to go through pers the, the persisography with you. Absolutely. Well, this is our uh, – we're in the studio here. I should also mention uh, R.I.P. Uh, P. Goldie, a friend of ours. Yes. And uh, we had mentioned in the episode that we had to cut that part for time. But he's always come here to the station mm -hmm. uh, and annoyed the heck out of us. But, we, you know, we yeah, love to Yeah, I, I mentioned Pete in the acknowledgments of presenting Persis Kambata, actually. Yeah, I, 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 I eulogize him in that. that. Yeah, he was – he meant he meant the world to me, and he was my entrance into a lot of a lot of the San Francisco culture that I was a part of. So, R.I.P. Rest in power, Pete. Rest in right. power, Pete. Uh, friend well, of the we really show. should cover it here because the thing is that edit was it was over two hours, so I had to find things to cut. 
Yeah. And unfortunately, uh, that the the discussion about Pete is not in that recording. Gotcha. Well, we'll, well that's why we're bringing him up now. He would he would come by the station yeah. here, and uh, mm-hmm. he would he would rebroadcast our show on FM radio for us without, and then tell us without permission. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Which was kind of fun. Uh, all right, well, uh, so check out the book. It's the first Star Trek book and presenting... Yes, uh, the first Star Trek movie, bringing the franchise yes. to the big screen and presenting Persis Kambata from Miss India to Star Trek the Motion Picture and beyond. And then also check and out... Uh, I'm going to screw this one up. <laughs> Ponyville Confidential, yes. The History and Culture of My Little Pony. And uh, also I'll just mention here that I have a, another book coming out later this year. Uh, it's called... Beautiful Ghosts, a queer memoir of San Francisco. Oh wow! And yeah, it is exactly what it sounds like, and that is going to be published by by my publisher McFarland later this year. Oh well, check it out, and I'm getting sentimental for San Francisco. This is going to be one of our last uh, live in studio shows. We're going to continue every week, every Sunday. LWFLWIT. That's why we say (laughs) it. Good, well done, good save. Well, you have to if you're going to subscribe to our podcast. It's LWAFLMOYT. Get it Uh, right. We will continue. LWAFL. We're going to continue supporting Muni Radio. LWAFL. Yeah, you got it. And we, we're supporting Muni Radio, but we are going to step away from the studio. So God bless you, Luke. Luke's going to kick us off at two and, and play the show that we have prepared. So we keep guys, keep listening. Carl, why don't you give some promotion, and then I'm going to play the breaker, and we'll call it a day. Okay, promotion. Uh, I guess carlsucks.com. Uh, that's really what's going on. You can see me every Friday and Saturday at Scotty's Pub and Comedy Cove in downtown Springfield, New Jersey. I think it's actually uptown, but nonetheless, what other promotion? I don't know. Come to the open mic on Tuesdays. Um, all right. Well, that sounds. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. We shot a pilot, and it's all about COVID. And at the end of the pilot, there are going to be the end credits with open micers doing their jokes about the coronavirus. So Sunday, the twenty-fifth, seven p.m. Come on down to Scotty's if you have coronavirus jokes. No non-COVID material allowed. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, thanks, Carl, for that uh, because it's still topical. Uh, all right. Well, uh, you know what, Carl? Rip I found today's headlines. I, it's been a while since I've been in the studio. Here is a commercial breaker from like 2018. Thank you so much, Carl. <laughs> Thank you. Thank <laughs> you, right. Sherwin. Thank you, My Sherwin. pleasure. Bye-bye. Talk to you later. Thank you, audience. Talk to you guys later. Bye. The best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit face McRat. <laughs> Hello there, my friends out at Mutiny Radio. Chester Cashcock here, giving you my love and regards as well as the Mufis over there. And you know, anytime I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and files and files of filthy cash. I can't help but listen to Fantastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10. They have a fun time at Fantastic's Deep in the Mission where you can laugh off your tushy every Friday for a mere $10. And $10, I mean that's what I use to wipe my tushy with so to wipe it off for <laughs> is ambiguous. And if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, don't worry, don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer cottage in the mountainland or the kayaks, you know. <laughs> Just go to podcast.pcrcollective.org or mutinyradio.fm podcast and look for Comedy Clubhouse with a K. You can download it for free. But we'd love to see you every Friday, 8 to 10, down here at Mutiny Radio.
laugh off your own tushy. Save your life, cause you know what's better than laughter? No, it's a cash cock, baby. <laughs> in your car and you're listening to one radio station you need you're radio station you're, you're, you're filling all, all the others they are, they are keeping in all, all frequencies and you keep them so just listen to, to one specific station Saturday into two and you believe the sound quality, quality good and you understand things that's plain, plain. Fine too, too. You might need two or two or three or more stage stations at the same time. time. Hey, Mutineer Stolowitz here. Have you ever listened to Labor and Love on Saturday mornings, 10 to noon, with Bill Morgan? It's a really excellent show, one of my favorites here at the station. And it's all about service. It might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but we got to serve somebody. And Bill understands the virtue of service as the heart and soul of the labor movement better than a lot of people I know. And it's one of the reasons I love to listen to him. He breaks down socialism, democracy, protest history, workers' news, and the power of unions. Along with that, he serves up an excellent mix of jazz, Latin, gospel, hip-hop, and traditional folk ballads. Great stuff. Check it out. Labor and Love is every Saturday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Serve somebody. Subliminal SF Visual and Auditory Mind Control brings you the best, coolest t-shirt and hoodie designs and mind-bending local bands and shows at venues all over San Francisco and the Bay Area. Subliminal SF is here to destroy your sense of normalcy and plant ideas in your skull to make you cooler and a more awesome person. Check out all the badass products at subliminalsf.myshopify.com that's subliminalsf.myshopify.com and experience subliminal sf
reason they not food and snacks. Try the chicken biscuit. It's like your stomach's in a tasty tornado. They have exceptionally great daily ground sustainable burgers with sides of tater tots, grilled asparagus, and delicious zucchini. And creamy-licious mac and cheese. You like tacos? They get them. And for... Yeah, it's Bug Out Square. It's Tuesday at six o'clock. It's uh, <clears throat> it's dark. The the planets are lining up to turn into one. It's uh, the holiday season is upon us, and uh, it's a Christmas show. So dig. Have you seen that vigilante man? Have you seen that vigilante man? Have you seen that vigilante man? I've been hearing his name all over the land. Uh, this week on Bug House Square, I'm doing a Christmas show, man. What can I tell you? Uh, you know, if you don't dig Christmas music, then, uh, you know, I'd like to offer you a drink or something, but um, I can't right now. No one can. You're just going to have to uh, work through that yourself. So I'll try to keep it uh, as not, you know, uh, I don't know. It's not like I got like a really super awesome Christmas collection, but uh, I'll try. I'll do the best I can with what I got. And uh, uh, we've got some contributors as well. And I'll throw in some other music. So I, I'm, I'm pretty confident it's going to be a good two hours, even if you don't dig Christmas music. Sleeping in some good warm place. Man, come along and we give him a little race. Was that a vigilante man? Preacher Casey was just a working man. And he said, Unite all you working men. Kill him in the river. Some strange man was that, a vigilante man. Shotgun in his hand, would he shoot his brother and sister down? I rambled around from town to town. I rambled around from town to town. And they herded us around like a wild herd of cattle. Was that the vigilante men? Have you seen that vigilante man? Have you seen that vigilante man? I've heard his name all over the land. 